channel for a change. Hi! <clears throat> so, as always, if our sound levels are a bit weird, do tell us. That would be lovely. Okay, we are live. Okay, I, I confused myself for a second, but that's not unusual. All right. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Alrighty, before we begin this week, um, I have a bit of a disclaimer, a, a warning. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Where a this dire goes. prophecy. A dire prophecy <laughs> of the end times. <laughs> uh, right. So, um, I have opinions, a lot of opinions about the end times, um, and this entire subject matter is not a short one. Um, indeed, this entire section covers five whole background books, five army lists, five novels, a bunch of short stories, more White Dwarf articles than you can shake a stick at, and an awful lot of post-chat as what comes next gets built up. This is not something that we can do our normal thing with, which is where we dive in and we go through each one of the events, we explain it, we perhaps recontextualize it and provide extra detail. We can't do that for this. If we did, we would still be talking about book one, Nagash, sometime next year, because there's so much that happens in such a very short space of time. Um, unlike some other background books where they will spend an awful lot of time detailing one primary conflict, that doesn't happen here. Here instead, you tend to find that uh, over the course of maybe two pages, about 15 to 20 exceedingly important events occur in short order. And because of that, trying to talk through all of those, you could easily just spend an entire stream discussing just the intro pages in the Nagash book. And we'd be quite happy because, as, as we all know, good old Sotek and I can talk for hours oh, about oh, the yeah. ramifications of different individual pieces of uh, lore detail. So for this stream, we're not going to be doing the normal deep dive. Instead, it's going to be a lot more umbrella. The oh, the end times as a whole, discussing some individual parts, which to a degree works because the end times books often focus on individual battles for quite a bit because they're supporting the army lists that they're building. And a lot of those battles are actually, in the greater scheme of the end times, kind of unimportant. They don't mm -hmm. actually bring anything that important to the table. All they do is they develop one particular battle with some new characters that have been added and are then are discarded because half of them die. So be aware we won't be doing our normal thing. Um, my second disclaimer is, as I said, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> some years ago, I used I to work for thoughts. Games Workshop. <laughs> the first time I worked for Games Workshop, I was working in the retail stores, eventually up to being a manager. It was my job to effectively look at every single uh, out piece of output from Games Workshop and say, this is the cool new thing. This is what it does. How excited are we? And I'm kind of pre-programmed with that. Everything that is released, I kind of get excited by. I can't help it. I used to do it for years. It was my job. Plus, I always, then as I moved on to other jobs at Games Workshop, I was writing about them and doing cool things with them. So that also brought a great deal of excitement. The End Times is a completely different package. This was pitched as pretty much the crowning moment for the Warhammer world. 30 years worth of lore development finally coming to an end. This was the conclusion. This is not something new to fiction, to games or anything. All things come to an end. But this was pitched as pretty much 
if you're a fan of Warhammer, buy this because it's all coming to an end. It's our great, great hurrah. It's our great celebration of all things Warhammer. It is everything that's going to make all the fans go, yay! We're super sad that it's coming to an end, but look how awesome it is to see all of the characters we love, all of the realms we love, finally getting the time that they need to shine and then go boom. Now, <laughs> so, so that clear, was a lie. <laughs> I'm not against the concept of the end times. In fact, I kind of love it. I've blown up the Warhammer world for my own games more times than anyone out there needs to know. I love the idea. But the execution, now that's where that's where it gets a bit important. Now, as I said, I used to work for Games Workshop. My first desire is to spin positive. The execution here reminds me of the execution of many storylines that people have attempted to end, but done it, shall we say, a little bit too rushed or without any great thought or with changing thoughts of, as time progresses. Take, for example, Star Wars and the sequel films. Suddenly, Palpatine returns. <laughs> and we can say that for half of the Warhammer characters during yeah. the end times. Or alternatively, the Game of Thrones, which built up over the course of multiple <sighs> books and then blew up at the end as they forgot what the entire world building had been building towards. And they just had a bunch of events that they had to get out. You're going to see a lot of that in the end times as well. Indeed, if we look at most of this series of late that have come to great conclusions, many of them haven't pinned the landing. They have gone running up towards the vaulting horse as an athlete. They've got all of the weight of years of world building behind them. They launch into the air and then they go, fuck it. I don't yep. care anymore. And they land on their head. And for me, that's the end times. Prepare for some neck breaking as I will find it very <laughs> difficult not to tear into it. So if you're someone that looks for only positivity in the course of your Warhammer streams, I'm warning you now, it's going to be very hard for me to maintain that positivity. Rant over. Yeah, fair, fair. Uh, <laughs> yes, and I, I just want to add that, uh, like Andy said, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, energized negativity would probably be the best way to call it uh, in this stream. Uh, so it's going to be a nerd rage stream. Uh, if you find nerd rage annoying, probably not the stream for you. That's okay. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. But uh, that being said, we are going to focus on like things that we think would have been cool or some ideas that were introduced that were awesome. And or little nuggets of gold that kind of survived amidst the crashing and burning. Um, but um, some other things I want to add is just that I do want to make it clear that like a lot of people, especially because uh, th there's kind of been memes about it since the end times happened. Uh, and like um, the end times suffered from a couple of really notable things that we're not going to be focusing on much. Cause we're going to be focusing more about like the story and stuff of that okay. it's always important to remember that the end times was while it may have been advertised as a celebration of warhammer fantasy it wasn't it was a marketing scheme for set up for a new setting being age of sigmar um which hilariously backfired on multiple levels um and age of sigmar was hot trash when it started and eventually they figured out how to make it good uh thanks to mostly changing a lot of who was in control of what was going on and a lot of the people that made decisions for the end times leaving the company um which magically solved a lot of problems um but uh like i said we're not gonna be focusing on that as much uh like we're not gonna be focusing on a lot of the business aspects of it we're just gonna be trying to focus on the stories they told 
and what parts we didn't like, which is a lot of it, what parts we did like, which is not quite as much, <laughs> and then maybe uh, inserting some of our own little ideas and fan theories in there. So with all that out of the way, let's go ahead and start with that super chat. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sean. Um, I'm going to bring up a couple of comments about Gelt as we go, because there's a couple of story beats here where I'm going to be going, who bullshit, who bullshit. Um, I'm finding it very difficult, very difficult to maintain any level of, uh, let's say, respectable commentary. Um, but uh, I, I think just as a general foreshadowing, um, we'll be discussing Gelt at points almost certainly, but I don't think I will go in depth into why I despise that walking gold meh um, to any great degree, because we could probably do that in a Gelt stream. But you're almost certainly to hear some of the reasons why. Oh, man. Um, it's definitely going to come up at some point. Um, All right, so enough enough yeah. beating around the bush. Let's, let's get into the end times. Um, so I think probably the best thing to do is i'm gonna give like genuinely a minute long explanation of a couple of major events and then we're just gonna talk jump into the ones that we find the most interesting uh to summarize the end times it takes like place it. over uh, i want to say it takes place over the course of about it's about a decade yeah it's about 10 years yeah about um, 10 years. and basically the end times starts with uh skaven appear all over the world and they wipe out everyone that's not a main character uh so uh i mean start as you intend to continue yeah, that is that's literally the way it starts there is there is a there is a prequel of talea Estalia, araby the border princes everyone we don't want to talk about just dies instantly yeah. um the end um and uh oh. that's that alone is kind of a lot um but uh yeah so skaven show up everywhere uh they kill everyone that's not important everyone that is important miraculously survives the skaven invasion and the skaven kind of peter themselves out and then uh somehow nagash returned uh, yeah. <laughs> then nagash <laughs> yeah yeah so then nagash happens um uh, which is already skipping a massive amount because that's how crazy the end times are because like the entire first book is just building up to nagash coming back um but like the Arik Bastion is made, which is a big magical barrier that separates. Oh, oh Gelt's um, raising his head already. My face is getting redder. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I think I think we'll just tackle one book at a time. So let's start with Nagash. The major events being the Skaven invasion, uh, all the shenanigans involving Sylvania getting cordoned off, and then Chaos getting cordoned off, and then Nagash comes back, and then we get the big war between Perfect. Nagash and the Tomb Kings the end <laughs> yeah that is okay, so, the first book um controversially i think that the nagash book was definitely attempting to tell a story and it had a clear idea in mind um i'll say one thing before we head into anything else because i'd like to start with some strong positivity the art here and Ooh. throughout the end times yeah deserves some fucking calling out their artists and came out Big time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, They nailed it. They clearly were given a nice broad brief, and they went to town on these books. They are often gorgeous. We're getting access to pictures of characters that we haven't seen for a long time, reimagined. The rebuild of Nagash is gorgeous. In fact, just in general, the art throughout is lovely. The art, and I'll say the minis as well. The miniatures oh, were mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. gorgeous. Like, they were kind of the start of the new class of minis that age of sigmar uses and 
I will go to, I will fight anybody that thinks those models are not beautiful. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree completely. And I remember when they came out, they were almost to a degree uh, a, a balance to what I was, when we read the Nagash book for the first time, already some skepticism and doubts, largely because the style of the writing was often so fast, involving so many events occurring in such a small period of time in the background or off camera in a fashion that made you go, why did this happen? How did this happen? Why is this character doing this? This seems against their nature. Why is this character doing this? This seems against their nature. Um, and we've reached a conclusion, fair enough, but there's so many questions that have been raised. And by the end of the book, I just had this sort of knowing feeling that none of those answers would come and that I would be left going, this isn't a celebration of the last 30 years of lore. This is someone driving towards some stories that they're desperate to conclude. And it was already beginning to show. I didn't realize that it was going to get much worse with the later oh, book. Yeah. yeah. Nagash, much worse. Nagash was easily the best book of yeah, the five. Definitely. Um, not, they were all, certainly not all equal, <laughs> I will say. Uh, but Nagash uh, is the, I believe it's the second largest of the it's entire. Huge. Um, um, it's huge. I've got over there. I've got some yeah, other books. I've got here. my, yeah, but it's like. Uh, books. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the second largest, if not the largest. Uh, uh, it is big. It's the largest. Yeah, it is a it is a huge book and proper big. Yeah, and the thing that Nagash did that was nice that none of the other books did, except for I guess you could argue Archeon technically, is that Nagash did touch on everybody. Every single playable faction in the game got at least a little bit of stuff. Even the ogres got a little bit of stuff, which is the only time they get mentioned in the entirety of the end times. They got a, a two-page spread, and that was it. They got a whole two pages. No. Um, yeah, to a degree, though, this is where things begin to also sort of fall apart, but not really. And I'll explain what I mean here. Um, in the gash, everybody gets their moment in the sun. Just even if it's only for a couple of pages, you get a lovely setup for how everything's going. And then you get the next development, which is the step into what is going to bring the gash about. And that's where it starts to make you go, wait, what now? As Nagash is gathering various great important, well, not Nagash, Manfred, is gathering various great important things and great important people, all of whom represent something relatively ill-defined, but they're demigods or they're whatever. Um, so we've got characters like Morgiana Le Fay somehow falling into Manfred's oh, hands. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah okay. that's, that's okay. Well, let's just okay. There's there okay. Technically, I'll back off on that one. <laughs> Holy artist uh did a bit thing. Um, I just want to point out so we can grab that. Uh, can I tell you if they're going to redo? Are they going to redo the end times? Seeing as everything is so different now, I don't know if Games Workshop ever is going to want to touch it ever again. Um, like I could see for them, they could see it as just it's a no-win scenario. So why bother with it? Just say that it happened and then move on with their lives. Um, I would love to see them take another stab at it, but not for quite some time. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to see a Horus Heresy redo. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about it as well. Like a Horus yeah. Heresy redo where they're like, at the end, the world still blows up, but we're going to yeah. re-detail everything. I think could be a lot of fun, but I would do it after they do whatever they're doing. sense the world. of it all. Like, for example, I'll just give you a single example. I don't want to drill into all the details because we'll be stuck on the gash for freaking ever. <laughs> um, but I'm going to give you one example of where they've got a story which could be extraordinary, but the lack of detail means that you're just left asking questions. So 
apparently the Ever Queen has a kid with Tyrion that Ooh. everyone that everyone believes is the kid of the Phoenix King, and this is the Ever Child. Now, the Ever Child, bless her little soul, is super important for the spell that Manfred wants to do for reasons that are kind of unspecified. Now. This all sounds relatively fine. It gives Tyrion some motivation to go ch charging after his daughter and find reason to be dealing with Manfred and Nagash directly. So you can see why they're doing that and creating those ties. They're trying to get the individual factions who may otherwise never talk or meet together. So that's why there's these requirements for the ritual to bring back Nagash, who is, by the way, in the background before the end times, already back. But let's... Let's push that aside. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> um, so if they'd been properly celebrating Warhammer, they simply would have said he was in a weakened state in the Black Pyramid and he'd been influencing undead across the world, including Manfred, one of his greatest, most intelligent um, examples. And he was using Manfred to try and gather all of his stuff and bring him back to his full power again. But they didn't do that. Um, he was just out of it and they were just bringing him back. Yeah. So anyway, this character, the second you think on her for any length of time, you realize it's bullshit. And I'll explain why. So Finubar, the Phoenix King, gets with the Ever Queen upon ascending to the throne. So he passes through the flame. And regardless of what happens with the whole flame later and exactly what happens for the Phoenix King in general, they have a kid. That's what they do. This is a massive spiritual event for the elves because this is the joining of Azurin, the representation of the Phoenix King, with Isha, the rep who's represented through the Ever Queen. And they have a child who will become the next Ever Queen. This child is enormously important and culturally so. But in this case, apparently Tyrion slipped in. Now, why is that nonsense? I shall tell you. When Finubar raised to the throne, Tyrion was six. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if you know uh, when elves reach sexual maturity, <laughs> but I'm guessing it's not six or seven. They don't um, just come out fully formed? <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> um, so Tyrion, who is already super young when the Great War Against Chaos 2302-2003-ish is around. He's only like 50, 60 odd at that point. Tyrion and Teclis are enormously young far too young for what they eventually do during that war because when they were first written elves were different and their age didn't matter quite in the way that it does today um they were children but anyway that doesn't matter we've got I, I a do, character i, I do have a follow-up question to that though because i'll finish my point and then jump okay, in okay it's okay. short so we've got a character who's super important for the plot who makes no sense all it takes is a single line saying something like the Ever Queen and Phoenix King kid died during the Great War Against Chaos, was murdered as chaos swept through during the last <laughs> incursion. And a new child, obviously, was required. So the Phoenix King and the Ever Queen got together again. And that is where Tyrion slipped in. They could easily have made a story that made sense and immediately created this horrible triangle that was going to cause the downfall of the elves in this particular area. It would have been a that story of passion and horror. But they didn't. They, they just didn't. They just had a kid that just popped up from nowhere that got created for the deed of the day and sort of doesn't make sense when you look at the lore with any depth. So uh. I know they didn't do this because if they would have, they would have brought it up. But this does actually just spawn a random... Uh, this is completely unrelated because once again, they didn't do this, but it spawns a question I actually have in my th my head now of when Finnebar ascends the throne, presumably because Tyrion and Teclis were so young, 
then Alariel was also very young. So would have would he have shouldn't he have had a kid with her mom who should have so, been the Ever Queen at that time? So we have a massive problem with the Ever Queen in general because nobody sat down and realized that they changed the nature of how the Ever Queens worked by the way that they wrote the Phoenix Kings, which means that when a new Phoenix King comes along, they pop over to the Ever Queen and have a kid. And presumably, although it's never properly written, the old Phoenix, the old Ever Queen steps down and a new one steps up because that would be the only thing that makes sense. But but that's not confirmed. Um, so the answer is we don't know because yeah. it was never properly written. So honestly, the if they had written and it right, Bar probably would have been Alariel's dad. <laughs> that's um, what it probably should have been. <laughs> well, yes, possibly that's the case. Or alternatively, Alariel and Finubar would have been the mating pair because the other Ever Queen stepped down and was still alive, and they made a new kid, quick kid, who would have been the next Ever Queen. Anyway, there's also anyway, a, yeah, no matter. So super chat there, Ever Child did Archeon and Alariel bang, and indeed hey, I think. I think there's a certain amount of that. They could have gone for a different name because they already had the Ever Queen and the idea was that the Ever Queen had a kid who became the Ever Child. It's a bad piece of naming. And it's not just bad because the name sounds a bit crap, Ever Child. But it's also something that will become the case throughout the course of, I would argue, the end times and then to a degree into Age of Sigmar where they just start randomly pulling words and throwing them together just because they're possibly related oh. to something else. And some of the names yeah. come out just sounding well, I mean, I don't want to be too negative, but just not very. Thank good. you, Hammond. I look forward to reading your uh, your uh, fan fiction about stuff. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, slash uh, fan. Yeah. So one uh, something that occurred to me when uh, Andy was talking about it, uh, especially when he brought up uh, the fan enchantress, is that so the Air Times has another caveat that you kind of have to look at, which is that a lot of things happened technically in Eighth Edition at the very end of the uh the army books that are technically about the end times and it was really dumb of them not to just include them in the end times uh because otherwise you could be completely lost uh when picking up those books of like the fate enchantress gets kidnapped so okay so <laughs> the wood elf book had to cover a lot of ground because it's james workshop james workshop didn't want to finish eighth edition uh, because they wanted to hurry up and rush into the end times. So three factions did not get 8th edition books, which were the Beastmen, the Skaven, and Bretonia. Um, this was really Bretonia. bad for all of them. Um, this was especially bad for Bretonia because they didn't even get a 7th edition book. Yep. So because of this, Games Workshop had to kind of speed run Bretonia in the Wood Elf book. So the Wood Elf book has a ton of lore, but and a lot of the lore in their book is about Bretonia. Um, which causes a whole bunch of messes that we're actually going to touch on a little bit. But um, one of the messes that it does is that basically the Wood Elves get dragged into the Bretonian Civil War of uh, Malabad becomes the Black Serpent and he initiates the Civil War, which is a good storyline. That's a storyline that's Amazing. been introduced ages ago um, back in the uh, the uh, Sons of the Grail, Knights of Bretonia, whatever that book was called. Um, and during the initial battle, all we get is that Drycha apparently shows up to fight alongside the Wood Elves and Bretonia, and somehow Drycha manages to kidnap the Fae Enchantress without anybody noticing after the battle is over. Oh, no. Which does not make any goddamn sense if you know anything about anything. Because, like, the Fae Enchantress would have been surrounded by knights, presumably, and the Wood Elves would have been like, Hey, someone keep an eye on Drycha. She's kind of undependable. 
Uh, and anyway, so and and if you go into any depth with the lore as it was being built, even at that point, they were kind of on the same side anyway. Oh yeah, no, except for not because of what we're gonna get into in a minute, which Indeed. is crazy. So anyway, <laughs> so that's how the Panchanchers ends up going to Manfred is that Dreicha kidnaps her and trades her to Manfred for so, it has to do with like her breaking Coadil's prison open. Um and anyway, so and that's not even touching on like the person that got to write that, um, which uh uh once again I, I say this every time I talk about the end times. I am going to shit on the writing. I please don't take it as a personal attack on the authors, like yeah. as human beings. I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things that like it's gonna sound very mean, but it's about like the story and the writing. It's not an attack on them as a person. I'd love to have them over for dinner and treat them to some Texas barbecue. That being said, Josh I Reynolds, guess. what the fuck? <laughs> of that, like the Fae Enchantress, according to all of the lore before the end times, very clearly establishes that she is an elf. Yep. The end times ignores all of that and makes her into a human because they didn't read. That's yep. literally the only explanation. Yep. Uh, and she gets turned into a. Just look at the bloody model that they had at the time. It was an elf. Yeah, and she gets ah. turned into a vampire, which like. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so that happened. We also have I other. Yes, yeah, thank. <laughs> Jesus, trying to opening up just a bread yeah, fresh ball. baguettes. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> honestly i think this is gonna be funnier than i initially thought it was just because it's this so is gonna dumb. be a funny stream but, and so that we have that initial setup and then we have sigmar's blood which is a prequel campaign book that came yes. out before the end times that was a baby book of manfred von karstein versus volkmar the grim and if you don't read that book you're going to have no fucking idea what's going on with Sylvania at the start of Nagash because that book establishes that Manfred von Karstein publicly reveals that he's back by killing uh, the witch hunter, I think, uh, von Getzt or yeah, von Getzt or something like that, yeah. drops him in, uh, through the the <laughs> ceiling and on the like the 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 the, the grand diet of Reichland <laughs> while they're all chatting. And Volkmar's like, "All right, fuck this, I'm going to war with Sylvania," and nobody helps him. Which like, what? <laughs> Volkmar goes by himself to Sylvania. It's a proper crazy storyline to begin with, and it's it's almost like someone in the studio hates him because for those who've oh, yeah. seen the previous Storm of Chaos campaign, Volkmar was equally the 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 re repository of stupid ideas. The oh, Chaos are coming on a spring driving into Kislev, eh? Well, I'm gonna go. Come help me. Yeah, nah, Volkmar. What do you mean? No, I'm the Grand Theogenist, supposedly the most powerful figure in all the Empire. Yeah, no, not at all. He just marches off by himself, gets grabbed, gets grabbed by Belakor, killed, popped up in a banner, resurrected, and then marched around like, hey, look who we've got on our banner. <laughs> it's it's they clearly hate him, and the decisions that are made in Sigmar's blood are, if anything, just another step. Admittedly, a complete rewrite because the Sigmar's, the, pardon me, the Sigmar's, the Storm of Chaos was pu pushed aside, and this is a new version of the Storm of Chaos um, with events occurring in the same loose timeline. Um, but my goodness, there's some pretty daft choices for the yeah, chap in there. Yeah, so Volkmar watches off, uh, and he almost wins until mm -hmm. Gelt. <laughs> Gelt happens. Um, 
where well sorry gel gel sorry manfred technically wins manfred pulls off a ritual that is that we're going to discuss in a minute because it's actually interesting <laughs> but uh basically volkmar is winning functionally until the very end where manfred pulls off his ultimate scheme which is that he unleashes a big nasty ritual that basically turns sylvania into a dead zone for faith um so he unleashes a really powerful necromantic ritual using the nine books of nagash uh and a bunch of artifacts that he has acquired that makes it where faith does not work in and that's sylvania. super interesting i yeah. like that as an idea functionally what he did uh based on other older conversations uh we've had with andy here on Lorebeards, is that he basically found a way to make it where hish cannot penetrate sylvania hmm. which very cool genuinely Super a cool, cool idea like volkmar yeah. calls upon his faith and nothing happens and with his faith gone he's an old man like he's got nothing <laughs> and he gets caught uh now that's uh that's genuinely very interesting one of my favorite parts of the end times not yep, my favorite too. part but one of my favorite parts because it's like that makes sense i could see manfred pulling that off and it um, completely fits with his character as well because um he is ultimately when you get past everything that the character could be a wizard um he's a, a really powerful knowledgeable wizard arguably one of the best yeah, one of the best in the world um uh you can bring out nagash who is akin to a god anyway um but we've got ourselves the perfect person to do this job doing the job it's an example of characters who are long established doing what that character would do and something that i think is a celebration of the character rather than just we have characters we need to resolve plot for let's make this character do it yeah that being said uh, uh and i will say sigmar <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, yeah, yeah, that's Manfred to a T, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, you've got to remember that the undead of nothing but contempt for the chaos gods that lie beyond um, in the Aether, somewhere that they themselves are completely cut off from. They use the magic that seeps into the material realm. They themselves are largely material creatures. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, in case no one's ever seen it before, Sigmar's Blood, very tiny book. Uh, fun, uh, also fun fact this is what helmet gorst is from um the very first warhammer dlc because games workshop did not care about total war warhammer at all when it started um the very first dlc they ever did was this yeah uh, because all of the regiments of renown from the first pack are in this book and so yeah. what was what was unique about this book was that it was kind of like a starter set for the end times and that you were you were able to basically buy a very small selection of minis and all of the minis participated in the battles. Um, and like that, that's why it's but like to set up for the end times, it just made no sense. Because like the goal was it was to set up for new players getting into Warhammer right before they blew it up, which was super shitty on their part, but hey, business. Um and so the reason Volkmar is by himself is because they wanted you to only use the minis you would buy for this book. Uh so it's it's a mess. It's um, pretty dumb, actually. And I love the whole setup. I love everything it was attempting to do. But when you actually thought about it in context of the characters making choices themselves, you're repeatedly left going with a, why the fuck are they doing that? That makes no actual sense in practice. But nevertheless, the story they were attempting to tell was still pretty damn decent. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Manfred's 
ritual awesome like we're honestly starting off on a cool foot also like volkmar doesn't die in the book he's captured oh mm -hmm. that could go somewhere really interesting yep, i'm you yep. know i'm what what's manfred gonna do to him is he gonna escape mm -hmm. is carl franz gonna go oh shit they captured the grand theogenist we should probably do something <laughs> um spoiler nobody cares apparently um so, <laughs> most powerful figure in who represents sigmar uh, what do we do i just think whatever <laughs> yeah the most powerful cult in that part of the uh, of the world and everyone's like eh, it's fine yeah, but yeah. uh <laughs> so uh the book ends with gelt erecting countering uh manfred's spell which is that gelt unleashes a different spell that creates a barrier of light around sylvania's borders so basically where gelt, where manfred makes it where nobody of faith can use their magic in sylvania and the things that hurt the undead the most cannot manifest in Sylvania. It gets somehow Uno reverse carded into, okay, well, the undead can't leave Sylvania. So suck on that. Um, uh, this is when the bullshit begins. Yes. Now, <laughs> the only thing that I give a slight modicum of credit to is that it wasn't Gelt's idea. Um, a Lamian vampire. <laughs> whose was it? Yeah. So <laughs> Neferata is doing neferata things and to to be to be fair i still think this is within making sense for the character of that neferata does not want nagash to come back that is something that she has always been against so when she sees what manfred's up to she knows that this will eventually lead to nagash returning so she tells gelt <laughs> yeah that's literally just the end times in a nutshell <laughs> yeah uh, just replace it just replace it with like a bunch of different words we're gonna say so she sends an agent to Gelt that tells him you should cast this really big ritual. And Gelt goes, All right. <laughs> well, for, there for is a retelling of that story in the end times where it wasn't that at all. What it was actually was an apprentice, a random apprentice, who pops up and says, Hey, Gelt, guess what? Here, here's a really cool ritual, what you could do. But actually, it was the changeling. Yes. Now, oh, the changeling. Uh, I mean, but all right to both of those stories and both of those stories bring something to the table because they sort of make sense chaos trying to for example hold manfred down and pin him into place or alternatively neferata trying to ensure that nagash is not brought back there are reasons here what doesn't make sense is that gelt is a freaking gold wizard the way that he does the ritual is to take all of the artifacts which have been turfed out of sylvania and have formed a ring around sylvania already because everybody that had an artifact, all the ghouls that were underneath uh, Manfred's command, yep. were sent out to collect them and turf them out of Sylvania. So we've got a ring of artifacts around just handily there. Um, and then somehow all of these religious artifacts, not magical artifacts, religious ones, are turned into a spell by a gold wizard that can somehow do an almost continent-wide barrier. It's one gigantic piece of not just bullshit, but a complete lack of understanding of how the magic in the Warhammer world works. You're mixing theological with magical and not using the correct bridge. The correct bridge is not guilt. It's the Patriarch of the Light Order. Yeah. That is who should have um, stepped in. There should have been choruses. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of light wizards and apprentices coming out to support what would have been an enormous ritual. And the Cult of Sigmar should have been involved, trying to reclaim their... Well, they are missing 
And who cares about that guy, Grand Theogenes? Well, and it, yeah, every cult, like you know, yeah. like, there's, there's a huge tall light artifact that's stolen by Drycha that plays a key role. In an this enormous whole story. one. I mean, but, the, this whole thing is such an enormous event, but it's played so small and low key, and then all the credit given to Gelt for reasons yeah. that make now I will say presumably no real sense. Yeah, presumably Gelt did not do it himself, but there was no reason for them not to like elaborate on what happened <laughs> instead of just like being three like sentences rather than Gelt did because it says repeatedly Gelt yeah, did Gelt this did ritual, yeah. Gelt did this ritual, Gelt did this ritual, and then later on Gelt uses what he learns from this to do what we'd argue Which, an yeah. even bigger bullshit. Ritual I will say come. With with the exception of one particular storyline, Gelt is one of the characters that gets heavily maligned uh, by the end times. Oh, uh, yeah. like, like, and there are a couple characters we'll touch on who get really fucked. Like Manfred starts off great, but he gets one of the biggest fucking mischaracterizations near the end, um, which a lot of people hate him for, which is not fair because that wasn't consistent with the character. Uh, by the way, Holy Artist, thank you for the bits. Uh, mm. Could it be that to do... Uh, it was earlier at 10 30 if okay, you want to go, go by timestamp i'll go grab um, it so we can answer that it is but um yeah could it be that to do gw and ca are british they won't <laughs> so you're no no, I, no, no really. it's it's it, no uh like gw genuinely it, it was just they were rushed that that's that's yeah. all there is they were um, rushed i'll also add that um for all it's very easy to say that the bretonians are french ha 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 they're really not they're arthurian knights yeah. who may have been yeah, they're, they're inspired more... by french but they're super super they english they speak french and they have french accents and that's literally as far as it goes yeah pretty um, much they're far more arthurian than they are french they um are. but in any event um so that so that's just prequel to the end time stuff. Just to show how like messy and crazy all this shit gets. The whole thing with the Everchild is technically pre-end times. Yeah. Where like her whole getting captured thing happens before the end time starts. Of like uh, you know, she gets kidnapped while she's with which like that whole storyline, uh, there are parts of it that are fun, but the rest of it is so bizarre. Of like uh another example of like the writing not making any sense is that according to the eighth edition army books the Everchild is sent as an ambassador to Karazakarak in the Everpeak. And she's sent with like a really powerful little contingent. They get to Karazakarak and then Manfred and Kimmler team up to capture her. Now, they don't attack her before she gets to Karakate. Or sorry, uh, Karazakarak, where, you know, she'd have a smaller entourage. They purposely wait until she's leaving Karazakarak with a giant dwarf entourage. And the two of them with their magic pretty much single-handedly although granted i will the the scheme that they pull off to get the everchild i enjoyed immensely it's a really fun battle they manipulate orcs into attacking them it's a lot of fun it's actually a fun story but they capture her and this is where the story gets stupid is that manfred takes her to nagashazar whoa now, here's the thing nagashazar is not an empty ruin it is a very busy place where some really scary fucking shit lives um, that even Manfred would like in all of his power would be a little hesitant about going there mm -hmm. idly. Uh, he takes the Everchild there and you may think to yourself, ah, he must be taking her there for some grand ritual purpose. Nope. Turns out has nothing to do with his plan at all. He doesn't do anything at Nagashazar. He literally takes her there and the elves and the dwarves team up and they go to Nagashazar, which really should have been like a whole thing, but it's literally just a note in their timelines, yeah. which is like 
fucking crazy because a siege of Nagashizar should have been huge. It's uh, it's it's potentially one of the most important events that just wasn't touched on, and it's mental. Um, I, I'm going to give a clean example of that. Many of you out there will immediately go, "Oh, I see." Um, this is us building up towards the story, and we barely we're not even really touched the end times as they come. No, nope. but the end times is a set of movies. Um, and I did say movies because that's somehow how they feel like a bad yeah. set. Of prequels. Yeah, these feel like, in many respects, like say the the Clone Wars set of prequels, in that each there's loads of good ideas in there but it was so terribly executed that everybody looked at the prequel set of movies and went yeah nah but i like to see i see what you're trying to do there but later on other people came in and did say for example the clone war series and all the depth was added all of the weird bits were looked at and redone and that's what this needs it needs somebody to say well that makes no sense and that makes no sense why don't we just reimagine that and to a degree they sort of did because if you take a look at the novels that are to come they also completely contradict everything that's inside the main end yeah. so just to reiterate about how crazy we're talking here a prequel event features a massive army of elves hiles from Ulthuan, led by Tyrion himself to mm -hmm. rescue his daughter mm -hmm. teams up side by side with an army of dwarfs mm -hmm. from Kanazakarak led by High King Thorgrim Grudgebearer himself this is Elgay business yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Playing siege to Nagashizar together, fighting Manfred. Yeah, but he does. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Fighting, fighting Manfred von Karstein, and that Whatever is not is covered there. at all. Um, it, and they win. They they beat Manfred, but Manfred goes, "Ha ha!" Saturday morning cartoon villain grabs the ever child and flies away. Now, yeah. here's something I want to point out that's really interesting: is that yeah. like. Andy said, and once again, this is just to point out how inconsistent the writing is before we finally get back into the actual end times. So that whole thing in Nagashizar, that's it. Like Manfred literally fights them. He loses and he runs away. Now, what's interesting is that that Nagash should have been involved because Nagash is there. He's yeah. in Nagashizar. His body is sitting on his throne in his, he's sitting there. He's not doing anything, but he's sitting there. He's literally already back. He's been there for uh, hundreds of years at this point. Now, mm -hmm. what's interesting is you might just say, okay, well, maybe the end times just retconned that and they just didn't want to deal with that. And part one of the end times would agree with you. It would say, mm -hmm. oh yeah, no, they retconned that because yeah. they do something else to bring <laughs> the guys back. Laughing. Yeah. Now, but, but the, the writer <laughs> who wrote the Kane series uh, mm -hmm. which the novel was written by Gav Thorpe, who's awesome. Now, Gav, Gav knows Nagash is supposed to be there. So in the Kane book, Tyrion, or uh, 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 Malekith and Teclis go to Nagashazar in like an astral projection type way. Like they send their spirits to Nagashazar, where they find Nagash sitting on his throne. This is before his like resurrection but he's there in person and they they are talking in front of him and he stirs like he's his awareness picks up that nagash and teclis are there and he starts looking at them and it, like he starts moving and he starts looking at them and they go oh fuck we need to get the fuck out of here like he's he's still like he's waking up we gotta go and it's like wait so is he there or is he not <laughs> 
it's it's actually hilarious and for those of us who pay attention to the background and we can't help but enjoy everything that it offers particularly given that this was pitched as a celebration of all that was warhammer so basically if you were a big fan of warhammer this was you getting everything that you wanted it was a piece of fan service to say thanks for buying it for the last 30 years away you go um we're sorry it's ending but how awesome is this um seeing inconsistencies hard written into the material that was not a good start but also seeing characters act in really random ways and incredible important events being skimmed over with a sentence it was really it was sad because you yeah you felt that things weren't the war- going the to warning end signs, well the warning signs are there yeah yeah totally uh, and as we mentioned near the beginning of the stream it gets a lot worse as it moves on yeah so um i like i'm just looking at time already uh yeah yeah so me too. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just run us through a lot of major events and yeah, me and just andy are back. just gonna give our hot thoughts on it bretonian civil war um, <laughs> uh, so i think it started off great of that oh malabad's back he's got like some nefarious he's got like all these like outcast knights with him he's even got some undead with him cool makes sense like it starts off strong where i hate it is when archon the black gets involved i really really hate the way that story changes in that it's not about malabad anymore uh instead malabad gets turned into a vampire for some reason um which i I love that archon the black turns him into a vampire too because that makes sense yeah well it does if you are a huge fan of that nagash trilogy we talked about because remember, oh, i'm a massive fan of that yeah yeah because remember archon the black's the one who makes the vampire no. elixir not neferata yeah. according to that book uh which that book also heavily influenced um <laughs> a lot of the undead unfortunately um uh there there were some like uh you you could see a lot that josh reynolds in particular was a very big fan of the nagash trilogy which is super unfortunate um because that influenced how he handled a lot of the undead plots and he handled most of them and it that's why i really don't like them (laughs) but uh yeah so archon turns uh malabot into a vampire and some out of literally fucking nowhere a prophecy is given that says that Malabad cannot be killed by a mortal, a mortal blade. Like, of course. Which, like, who the fuck made that prophecy? First of all, uh, second of all, that it's such a bullshit thing to do to Malabad's character. Of that, Malab- Malabad was a fun character yeah. because he is. If you read between the lines and you go read his stuff in Barony of the Damned. He is a genuinely fascinating character who believes there's something deeply, deeply wrong with the Lady of the Lake, and he's trying to save his country from this perceived evil. There's a really good story there, and they ignored the story so they could say, and then this happened! Oh, sorry, did I say it backwards? Archon turns Malabot into a vampire. I'm sorry if I said that backwards. Um, But uh, anyway... I I heard it right. I I did, but I I saw some... Oh, well, it was from Hammond, so it was probably a joke. Um, uh, let's see. Holy Artist, another cheer. Wouldn't it be easier to make Malabod and the Red Duke team up? Uh, you you could, and but that's... that's They're not the same character. They're, they're very the different. The, the very Red Duke different. is fucking insane. Yeah. Um, it's not his fault. Like, genuinely, it's not. The Red Duke is super fucking tragic. One of my favorite characters because of how tragic his story is. But no, he's completely out of his mind. 
Um, like the Red Duke doesn't even know what time it is, like year wise. He honestly thinks he's like hundreds of years in the past most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, would they have teamed up? Probably not. The Red Duke would not make for a good ally. Um, because because think- he, he's 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 just too like I I could see Malabod trying to manipulate him absolutely, but I I don't think Malabod would ever trust him to be like a genuine ally because that'd be stupid to trust him. But anyway, so Malabod. Lays siege to most or lays waste to most of Bretonia because he has Archon the Black with him, which sucks because it takes away a lot of Malabad's story. I think um, his agency. It's just yeah. such a shame because he had such a good story and it's basically undermined and he's just turned into an undead shell. Yep. And he fights his dad, Lewin Langer. Yep. We don't get to see it. It happens off screen. Like uh, most of the big fights. Yep. He fights Lewin, breaks his body, and doesn't kill him for some reason he just like heavily mortally wounds him vaguely and Lewin uh gets taken away and gets Gilles Le Breton in that he gets put on a boat and sent to the lady of the lake uh for a healing coma uh though his is a lot faster (laughs) oh it's (laughs) getting worse yeah and then uh uh now I will say there are some there are some cool moments like Kimler and Krell resurrect the full legion that Krell like they find Krell's original legion they wake them all up so it's like this really powerful army of graveguard that's super fun and we get the final battle between Heinrich Kimler and Duke Therald Duke Therald you remembered more than me in the name Uh, I can't remember what his name is but like he's he's quite old at this point yeah. Um, and they have this big epic final battle, and like the Duke gets like this fucking close to killing Kimler, and it's Tancred. awesome. Tancred is the suggestion. There. Yes, yes, it was Tancred. Yes, it was Tancred. Tancred. Uh, yeah. Of, uh, yeah, I should. Yeah, and Tancred that. gets really uh, fucking. Games. What an idiot. Yeah, and uh, Kimler, in my opinion, is one of the best characters in the end times. He gets a very fun, well-written story, in my opinion, of that, like, he gets to fight all of his ancient enemies, he gets to have his duel with Tancred and nearly dies, but mm-hmm. then he kills him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get the whole thing about, like, you could tell Nagash is kind of coming back because Krell is starting to act a little weird, and he's kind and of... that's good, because that really gives them the character of Nagash and what he does to everybody that's using necromancy. He's effectively necromancy's god, and that's great. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it finally builds up to the final battle of Masantel Abbey, where uh, yeah, where you find out the whole reason that Archon the Black is even here and is helping out is because the staff of the Gash is in the Abbey, and he wants it back because it's key to resurrecting the Gash. So he goes in there, and Kimler gets to it first, which I actually really like this part of the story. If Kimler gets to it first and reveals that he's betrayed the Gash and everybody, because Kimler doesn't want to serve anyone, he's really paranoid about it. Kimler. Yeah, and he's an arrogant little shit, and he's like, the dark gods have promised me power and no servitude, so screw you guys. And he has a big old fight with Archon, where Kimler is winning. A lot of people think he loses. No, he actually is full-on winning, because Archon mm-hmm. can't beat him. But Kimler reaches too far, and the dark gods are just feeding him energy, because they want him to win. And he blows up. <laughs> he miscasts and he dies, which is honestly a very appropriate way for Kimler to die. Yeah, it's quite fun. If you're going to have a character die because of his own arrogance, it's him, and that's loosely what happens. It's a shame that the chaos element was added so strongly. I don't think that was necessarily needed, but it's still a pretty damn good end. Yeah, so he blows up, and Archon is a lich, so being blown up, you know, it doesn't really bother him that much. He's just like, oh, all right. (laughs) And he takes the staff and he runs away. Uh, And that's basically, and then... Pretty much, like, when Archon leaves, Bretonia gets involved in one big final epic battle. Once again, this happens pretty much off screen. The Green yeah. Knight returns, reveals he is Gilles Breton, and he kills uh, Malabad. Uh, because mm-hmm. he's not mortal. He's immortal. Uh, and I'm not against that. Pretty good idea. I am against what follows, though. 
yeah uh so Gilles, uh now i want to this is one of the dumbest parts uh this is also <laughs> the end of the Bretonia saga uh functionally uh, though there, is, there is one last scene that i actually do think is cool but uh Gilles returns he kills malabad fine mm -hmm. uh and then he reclaims the throne because he says i'm your king and i've returned uh at this yeah, hour yeah. of most need uh and then he does absolutely nothing yeah this whole section just annoys me beyond compare actually we have ourselves a character who has been rumored to be the first king of bretonia for pretty much since his existence when the well i imagine it was the fifth edition armulus came out for the first bretonian one i think it was fifth um and um the green knight an extraordinary piece of art by Mark Gibbons, an extraordinary model, a character that's been sitting all the way through. He is a character that's pretty much mythic. And then they just ground him in normality again and say, no, actually, he's just a king and he's talking to everything, everyone. And it's all kind of cool again. And he's just come back completely taking away from that mystic nature of the character, undermining everything that's been written about this character who comes back in times of need and goes away again. He should not be taking places king that's not what he's there to do as a character type he's there to do other things he's there to look around at the others and leave them decide who amongst them which one of the grail knights there who is in position can become the next king it's not his job to be the king why did he even reveal himself the reveal perhaps should have been to someone else saying something else on the yeah screen. you know like it's duke such jared who ends up like duke jared who jared who ends up being the pov bretonia character for the rest of the end times all he had to do was go hey you're king now i gotta go fight yeah. shit i'll see you later but no I mean, that would have been perfect and it means that they don't need to demystify one of their coolest characters but they demystified him and uh then he does fuck all and yeah, that's if anything makes it worse i want to make it super clear guys this happens in the first year yeah. of the end times Gilles does nothing for the next nine years he sits on a throne and does literally fuck all for nine years it's crazy yeah it's it's I, I i remember the first time that i read it i was like yeah this isn't what i would have done but i can understand that they're setting something up and you're just sort of left there hanging on tender hooks going, when are they going to pull something out of their hat and show why they did this? And they never do. Yeah. And the end times is full of that. It is mm. full of cliffhangers and Chekhov's guns that never fire, um, which for the apocalypse is fucking dumb. If you're going to set up a Chekhov's gun, pull the trigger in the end times. Holy artist, thanks very much for the cheer. And I completely agree. Um, he's set up to be someone who's not the central character. He's set up to be someone that does things off at the side and everyone goes, oh, how awesome is he? While other people are the point of view characters and they're the ones that are driving the story forward with aid from this mystical other entity that lies to the side. And yeah, agreed completely, you rock. Yeah, and that's and that's... And that's the Bretonian Civil War, which um, it, in like there, you could see there are threads there that are often pulling upon things that have been set up in the past of Warhammer Fantasy, mm -hmm. but the end times completely mangles them. Like yeah. it starts to pull on those threads and you're like, oh, okay, I like where this is going. And then it drops the ball. And that's the end times in a nutshell. And, uh, <laughs> and sadly as well, to a degree, this is the best of the end times because it is the one where they're trying to take everything together and they're trying to tell the stories that have been told over the course of the last so many army books or possibly novels or other books. They're trying to pull them all together and then just drop them into place. Um, they nail very little of them, but at least they give it a damn good stab. Um, this, however, changes as they then move on to their own plots later and disregard almost everything that came um, to pass beforehand. Yeah, so um, 
Nagash is the next big thing to really focus on. Uh, the right. resurrection of Nagash has some good parts, has some bad parts. Yeah. Um, so the resurrection of Nagash is it, there are some parts of the book that are kind of fumbled in some weird ways of that. While Nagash is an interesting book overall, in my opinion, mm -hmm. it wastes way too much time trying to set up for Nagash's resurrection yeah. um, and focusing on them collecting all the MacGuffins to bring Nagash mm -hmm. back. Did we need an entire like chapter dedicated to Manfred fighting the Skaven to get the Fellblade back? No. No. That could have been summarized very I mean, quickly. For goodness sake, given how they summarize some other parts. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, uh, when they're doing the setup at the beginning, explaining the step-by-step -step things that happened, so, which includes some summaries that are almost criminal, given how much they cover in just a paragraph, that this is, in comparison to some of the events that had previously been summarized, less of an event. Yet, it gets a lot of space. Yeah, and uh, that's not even touching on the novel, which that's literally all the novel focuses on, is yeah. the, the process to resurrecting the gash, and it's because... Um, once again, not saying anything about him as a person, just saying like about writing decisions. Josh Reynolds was far more focused on writing about his fanfic insert characters than he was about anything else. Like Erican the Crow Fiend. I don't know why the fuck he's the main character of that book. He does not matter to the setting at all. Um, but he's the main character of the entire book. And it honestly ruins it. <laughs> um, particularly because this is a book that is a central pillar of the end times, which means it's a central pillar of how Games Workshop wants to represent the end of Warhammer. And they decided to end Warhammer on characters you don't know. And why? Yeah, well, it's, and it's it really reads like the authors were given like a very, very broad prompt and told, do whatever you want. And that's what mm -hmm. some of them did. And uh, some of them did it well. Some of them, not yeah. so much. Uh, so anyway, um, so the resurrection of the gash, uh, they go around gathering his MacGuffins. It's entirely too focused on. Um, and we get like, there are some fun parts, like the part where Archon and Manfred finally talk to one another and they have like a big magic duel because they're trying to kill each other at first, uh, is genuinely a lot of fun. I enjoyed that part. Um, but everything else that I'm, comes out. Yeah. Everything yeah, that comes after that. Right is kind of and you kind of have this interweaving plot of like you could tell archon's legit trying to resurrect the gash whereas manfred is not like manfred wants the gash to come back for just a second so he could steal all of his power and then kill him whereas archon wants to legitimately resurrect the gash and, and I there, think there's a good tension there that's quite yeah, nice and that that does build some really fun narrative tension because you're wondering yeah. which of the undead is on whose side um and like you have characters like your vampires trying to assassinate archon on manfred's will and then there are other agents of archons trying to do stuff to manfred and it's fun um uh, but this and i think i think it also just to add an extra little detail it really does speak to how nagash had previously been characterized as using vampires to get his own end and the idea that manfred in his arrogance thinks he's quite separate from that and thinks that he's not being influenced by nagash where he almost certainly is oh, yeah. because he's trying to bring nagash back which is stupid if you're a vampire seriously stupid yet he's still doing it and it makes sense for the characters involved and there's uh, and the fact that there's still conflict going on i think is pretty cool i think it would have been better though in some regard if he if arkan was playing him but it doesn't look like that which is a bit of a shame yeah and uh archon does at the end pull pull one over on him like archon does get manfred uh by the end of it but mm -hmm. uh the, we get the battle of the nine demons which is fun um, and it does tell an interesting story of basically everybody tries to stop Nagash's resurrection. Everybody sends like a little army to stop yep, him. Yep. 
the dwarves are like, hmm, something weird's happened in Sylvania. And Unger Fist runs down to go fight. And the, the dark gods go, hmm, something's going on in Sylvania. And they send Malagor the Dark Omen, cool pick, uh, to go mm-hmm. mess things up with a big old army of beastmen. All right, cool. The wood elves go, hmm, something's going on in Sylvania. And Araloth leads an army over to Sylvania, which we'll get into why that's really stupid. No, not that he went. We'll get into what happens to him. That's I hate. Oh, man. Uh, um, I, I'm <laughs> like, I am. We are this far away from me going on my mega rant for the end time. So everybody prepare your butts. It's um, coming. <laughs> yeah, it's not, like brace for impact because it's about to happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the Empire goes, oh, there's something going on there. We should probably look into it. And the High Elves are like, oh, we know where the Everchild is. She's in Sylvania. And Tyrion goes, I'm going to go. And Tekla says, no, you can't. You can't go. You have to be here because the, the Malekith's attacking us. And he goes, ah, fine. I'll send Eltharion the Grim and my squire um, uh, and, like, literally everybody that we could send. And they go, okay, fine. So Eltharion the Grim leads his little army over. Um, so what's what happens <laughs> is that the dwarves, uh, due to the machinations of the undead, are, end up colliding with Malagor's army. That's fine. I like that. That was a cool okay. plot point. Um, Malagor is hilarious in that battle because he's pissed about it. He doesn't want to fight the dwarves, but he can't get the beastmen to disengage because they're beastmen. And it's actually really funny. Um, and Malagor's finally like, ah, fuck this. I got to go do other stuff. And he just leaves. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, all right. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. The, the High Elves, yes, Eldraya, thank you, is the uh, the Squire's name, um, who's a great character that, got, man, she got shafted. But uh, the High Elves make it to the Battle of the Nine Demons. We'll come back to them in a second. Um, the Empire doesn't make it, but I forget what happens to them. I think they run into, like, a vampire army, and they get stalled. Um, and then the Wood Elves. Oh, fuck me. Okay, so the Wood Elves have a very interesting narrative in the End Times that I think the entire thing sucks. Um, and it's because it revolves around one character and it is the, in, in my opinion, Andy may not agree with this. It is the worst fucking character in the entirety of the end times. And it's Lilith. They fucked it. Pardon me. L- sorry. <laughs> yeah. Lilith. Uh, and <laughs> Incubuses. Get, having, get. <laughs> Incubi. Why do you torture me like this? Incubusy's funny. Incubus. Oh, yeah. um, so, um, all right. So here's here's the thing about Lilea. Lilea, Andy, I'll allow Andy to you talk. Know, you go. You go about, this one. Because I'm, okay, I'm going to go off on my rant, and I would like you to correct go, the mistakes I'll, I'm going to make. No, no, you're so, Because <laughs> I, I want everyone to understand how much I hate what they did to Lilea. Lilea is a character who, prior to the end times, is a very mysterious elven goddess of prophecy in the moon. And one of the things that's very interesting about her is that she's she's a little bit of a schemer because she cheats in a really fun way. And that Assurin tells all the gods, you're not allowed to go down and interact with the mortals. You're not allowed to like bridge that gap anymore. We must be separate. And Lilith goes, okay, dad, I will totally, or whatever their relationship is, I assume. Actually, granddaughter. Granddaughter. Uh, so she goes, so yeah. she goes, okay, granddad, I will not physically go talk to the mortals and she influences them through their dreams. So technically she's not breaking the rules, which I really like about her character. And she does a lot of really cool things. She has some really interesting little influences with Teclis through the staff. She doesn't directly interact with Teclis. I don't think in a lot of his stories, but there's a lot of like, you know, her being there in his dreams. Erloth, she has like some really cool interactions with Erloth, where once again, mm-hmm. they don't talk. 
like it's a lot of like weird dreamy stuff and prophecies and like leading Aerloth in these really weird like spiritual journeys where he discovers the moon bow like she's mm -hmm. she gives artifacts to people uh there's mm -hmm. there's three really powerful godly artifacts that Lilith gives to the elves her the staff of Lilith the the moon bow and then uh a crown that gets lost at sea um but uh so she's a really cool character the end times does two things first eighth edition sets up that Lilith full-on meets somebody which is that she meets Erloth. now this i'm vaguely okay with it's fine whatever where like through prophecy and dream and some weird shit Erloth gets put through a test of courage uh because he's a cowardly little shithead and he eventually succeeds his test of courage saving Lilith from what he believes is a greater demon of slanesh it's vaguely implied that the greater demon might not have actually been real it might have yeah, been yeah. real but if it was real it was more like dreaming wood type shit and she's like hey good job you uh here's my blessing and he becomes like this really big badass fine yeah. totally cool with that the end mm -hmm. times Lilith is a person in the end times she's not a goddess she is a person where she is showing up physically she's interacting with people and she is full on in my the only way the end times makes any fucking sense with Lilith is if you go under the presumption that because she is the goddess of prophecy the end times are coming she looks into the future and she goes completely fucking insane because of what she sees that is the only way her character makes sense because the end times goes on to say that Lilith is many, many different entities simultaneously. She is Lilith. She is Ladriel. She is the lady of the lake. And she also is the, like the most major opponent of the dark gods out of everybody where Lilith is the one who is very heavily implied to puppet the entire Everchild situation. And then she full on is the one who, trick she and to be clear she tricks techless she does yeah. not like trust him or talk to him she lies to techless and tells him to let the everchild die to allow her to be sacrificed because she wants nagash to come back but she wants him to come back a little weakened which like is a lot to swallow but she is so dedicated to allowing nagash to come back later weakened that she even goes so far as to when the wood elves are trying to get to Nagash, she sh opens a portal and walks out and says, Nope, y'all are coming with me. I can't let y'all stop Nagash coming back. And they go, Oh, okay. And they just follow her into the portal and leave. So the wood elves don't help at all. She's also the one that assassinates Ariel. Yeah. Uh, Lilith murders Aisha, like full on. Like, because yeah. the thing about Ariel it, and the end times does its best to try and make this not the case which is a lie ariel is literally just aisha yeah. <laughs> like she's the mortal embodiment of aisha uh she's not a like a a prophet of aisha which like i i wish the the setting had done a better job separating what the fuck the ever queen is versus what ariel is i really uh, wish they had done but they didn't uh, but like like the most generous scenario you could say is that the ever queen is more like a, a hardcore priestess of yes. Aisha, but Ariel is Aisha and Lilith murders her um, yep. full on. Like it's not even subtle. She just fucking kills her. Um, and then she calls on the ever queen and is like, Hey, you should go help the wood elves because their queen is dying. And by that, she means, by the way, can you go down to the Oak of ages and finish her off for me? Because that's what Alariel does. She goes down to the bottom of the Oak of Ages under the presumption that she's trying to heal Ariel. And instead, the end times reveals that the two of them get into a fight. 
and they become one entity that like fights itself for control. Uh, yeah, you know, they, they, so they like, they fuse the two Aisha pieces of the puzzle back together. The two of them fight each other and Ariel subconscious is killed by Alarios and Alario takes over as the new embodiment of Aisha, which fun fact, Age of Sigmar completely flips on its head because Age of Sigmar goes, ah, just kidding. Ariel won, even though she goes by Alario, um, <laughs> which is more realistically what probably would have happened. But in any event, so that's a couple things Lilith has done. This is also the same Lilith. Lilith? is a goddess of prophecy she's supposed to know what's going to happen which guides her bullshit decisions she's the one that tells teclas to go to middenheim go down into the depths of middenheim and steal ulrich's power which he does he steals the flame of ulrich which causes middenheim to just fucking die which if you've been paying attention to the end times also results in the entire fucking world blowing up it's yep. literally the end times is literally just Lilay's fault like yep. If if you're if you pay attention to the overall scope of the storyline, Lilith is the reason everybody loses. Like she is full to blame. Yeah, uh, that, yes, no, that Hammond, you're actually you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she also reveals that. Oh yeah, her and Erloth totally banged, and they had a kid, which Erloth has no memory of this. Erloth never recalls like being I with Lilith. So it's like, did she just like rape him, or like what the fuck happened? Like or like weird god shit, but. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, I had a daughter and I created a new dimension because Lilith. Oh <laughs> it gets worse. Lilith <laughs> gives a speech when she goes to Ulthuan. She gives a speech that her and the elven gods are not <sighs> gods. They are aliens from another dimension that was destroyed by chaos in an end times. And when that universe was destroyed, her and the what we know as the elven gods escaped that dimension to this dimension and made themselves into gods as the they are the because they're precursors so like you know and they're not the old ones to be clear so that means that the old ones were apparently not real and the elves were actually the old ones which doesn't make any fucking sense and they created this universe which then the dark gods came to and apparently that's a cycle that's been going on for eternity is that the dark gods show up in a universe that the elven gods make the elven gods create a universe it eventually falls to chaos they run to a next universe you have no idea yeah, it happens over <laughs> and over and over so Lilith tries to break this cycle by wait for it Here creating a new universe by made by the elven gods but this time it'll be super secret so the chaos gods totally won't find it and it's called the haven and that's and there's this whole buildup of all the bretonians that have ever died all the grail knights everyone that has ever like been part of the lady of the lake when they died their souls were taken by lilaith to be guardians for this new dimension which they did not know was part of the bargain so like she's made them into eternal guardians that will never rest or anything to defend a universe that is inhabited purely by elves um which okay and the hilarious thing is you have all this build and that's why Lilith does everything Lilith gets countless billions literally billions of people die because Lilith is setting up for this scheme and then because she feels bad talking to duke jared she reveals all of this information to him and bellacor is right fucking next to them in the shadows and goes <laughs> oh that's cool <laughs> and when bellacor is captured so that the dark gods don't find out about it 
because they're like, oh, we can't kill him because if we kill him, he'll just go back to the realm of chaos and then the dark gods will know about the haven. We can't do that. So we got to capture him. So, okay, this is taking four or sorry, five fucking books setting this up, right? The haven being this whole thing. And then Laith, the second they imprison Bellicor, once again, very explicitly, so he does not tell the dark gods about the haven so that it will be safe. And the haven is guarded by all of the Bretonian dead that have ever existed so that they can protect it. And it's a whole dimension where all of the elven dead have been sent. Let me reiterate that. Laith finds the mortal incarnation of Arithkial and convinces her to use all of those souls to create a new universe. All right? All right? After they capture Bellicor, the Dark Gods have no reason to know this exists. She looks to the Haven and it dies. Oh, it dies instantly. She has no idea where it went. It, it just, it ceases to exist. And you may think, oh, well, surely that's a setup for the Age of Sigmar. Nope, it just fucking died. <laughs> it just, it's gone. It just, it died. The end. Like, I, I fucking hate Lilith in the end times. So I hate her. I, I Sorry. Have a Sorry, go ahead. I, I gotta stop. Um, I gotta stop. No, <laughs> you don't need to stop. Because I think in many respects, um, Lilith uh, speaks to the entirety of this project. Um, and that's that they're setting up a very different style of Warhammer universe, the Age of Sigmar style, with all our little fragmented realms and, and the gods doing crazy shit and the gods doing all sorts of stuff where the mortals are just their pawns. And there is eternal war and there's Sigmar Marines. Um, and it's... It doesn't it's, even... It's not even in Age of Sigmar. <laughs> whole giant story was pointless. Oh, yeah. And so much buildup that went nowhere. And to, for me, someone who absolutely adores the lore and what's been built up over the course of time, it stomps all over everything that came before and said, you know those things that you think might be true? They're not. And you know why? Well, there's no good reason for it. They just aren't. Um, Lilaeth basically being Ladriel, a, a completely different goddess, and going, actually, I'm her, is just the biggest bullshit. Ladriel is quite literally Azurin's wife, the only god that was allowed to walk the mortal realm. And there was a whole story behind it that was very discreetly building towards something that they decided, no, actually, also, that's just a fake. The real one is actually, uh, wait a minute, uh, Azrael's real wife is uh, and none of it makes sense and the more you look at it the less Lilith makes sense as a character and then they make her do the craziest bullshit that you're just left at the end of it going why? This isn't just insanity. This isn't just a god going mad. This just seems like someone's writing stuff down and making things happen in a Some of comments are killing me. Because it's just happening. It's such a bit of craziness. And at the end of it, when I was reading it, I, 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 I put the book down and for the first time in all of my long Warhammer history, I went, you know what? I am actually done. They've managed something that i don't think they wanted to do they were supposed to be celebrating games work games workshops great history of warhammer but instead they've created bullshit that makes no sense that sounds like that that's going to be their writing style in the future oh my god this is bad actually bad i'm going to put this down and i think i might be cured of warhammer what the yeah. fuck Where did you i know, get yeah it's so anyway, uh, that's, yeah, that's my whole thing about Lilith. Uh, yeah. Um, also her death is hilarious because it's so stupid. 
where oh, she go god i forgot yeah, about she, that yeah she literally asked teclas to murder <sighs> her with his own hands so that he can use her blood to teleport him and everyone else to Mindenheim to stop Archeon. And the ritual just fucking barely works. Like, it's not even a good ritual. Like, she, wow, she was a terrible god. <laughs> She's fucking awful. Utterly um, awful. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Um, there's there's like a whole lot of stuff. Like, I like I will flat out say Lilith is not the lady of the lake. I don't care what the fuck anybody says. I could see an argument that the lady of the lake was originally or maybe has a relationship with Ladriel. Um, yes. but Lilith absolutely fucking not um makes zero no, sense it, it completely breaks up the whole concept of the um elven pantheon and where lilith sits in that pantheon um it completely makes sense for someone like ladriel and what ladriel represents in the pantheon um it fits her character um she's a character of shadows and lies she's a character who moves to other places and does things with the lost um and gilles le breton would have been lost his tribe had been cast out they were in a difficult place the whole thing makes sense for her and if you look at where she sits inside the elven man mandala and where the gods all sit it all sort of slots into place and is completely unlike literally everything to do with lilith and uh just the conflation of it was already an issue for me but when you then see what she does ah oh, none of it makes sense is, is this person meant to be an idiot uh, okay some power now, i want to say i'm seeing some people in chat being like oh the haven wasn't destroyed it's an age of aos quote me a page i have written i've read all of first edition age of sigmar all of second edition age of sigmar and most of third edition age of sigmar and the haven's fucking dead it does not show up ever ever it should have shown up by now and it's, um, it's just not there. It's not Just to talk about something slightly unrelated. Thanks very much, Hammond. Um, uh, Ladriel as a name actually comes from Liadriel, uh, which was the original wood elf god that was in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay First Edition. And Liadriel was indeed strongly influenced by Galadriel. Indeed, not just strong <laughs> influence, it's just a section of it. So uh, Liadriel, who was a, go uh, a goddess of lyres and wine and dance, um, became Ladriel, a very different deity much later but yeah you're not actually too far off it with your crazy joke which is surprisingly on point. yeah yeah but yeah <laughs> anyway so thanks uh, for that oh someone actually gave me a uh page so i'm gonna look at that while uh i get your thoughts on a thing of like uh but yeah anyway yeah so lilaith aside like i i for a lizardman fan the whole thing about lilaith saying that like oh yeah no we're like we're actually entities from a prior dimension like that fucked up the lore so much with such a simple little thing that I, I don't even have words for it. But um, anyway, uh, which is why I'm just like, no, she had to be completely fucking insane. It's the only way it makes sense. Yeah, um, it makes sense if she's mad. Uh, but anyway, uh, so Nagash is resurrected, and the ritual to resurrect him is fucking complicated. Of uh, that... Uh, <laughs> so they bring the resurrected, back... Resurrected, the resurrected yeah. Nagash is re-resurrected. Yeah, so they bring back all the artifacts that he had in life. Fine, fair, cool. Yep. Uh, cool. they destroy the they like bring the fell blade and destroy it because it mm -hmm. killed him okay cool fine and um, you can argue had absorbed some of his essence so it makes sense yeah. you've got a good reason for doing that yeah they've even got they've even got his hand and everything like that that's cool i'm cool with all that what's weird is that and granted they try to explain this as nagash didn't just want to come back he wanted to come back as like a full-on god 
instead of just little Nagash. So he has, so the ritual has them murder a bunch of direct descendants of the gods. Um, Now what's weird is that it's the entire old world pantheon and then one elf. (laughs) It's a weird, weird setup. Yeah, so the Fae Enchantress, who's turned into a vampire, which should disqualify her, but whatever, I guess she still counts. Yeah, um, and then it's like a direct also descendant. probably an elf. A dis- direct descendant, so like big bad priest of, I think, Ulrich, Tall, uh, Ranald, Shalia, Sigmar. It's it's a goofy cast. Yeah, it's, it's bullshit. It's not every god either. It's only like yeah. the ones they remembered, I guess, I mean, when they yeah, wrote totally, it. Because, I mean, normally when you look at the Empire and its uh, primary deities, there's actually ten, not eight. Yeah, so uh, they kill all of them except for one. <laughs> it's just fucking Volkmar. But I don't understand why they hated Volkmar so much. They so really hate Volkmar. <laughs> Volkmar, they put him in Nagash's armor. They cut yeah. off his arm and put Nagash's stump <laughs> on it. And then they put you know the staff and the sword in his hands. They destroy the fell blade, and then they put the crown of sorcery on his head with all nine books of Nagash around him. They sacrifice all these nerds, including Aliathra, the Everchild, who's supposed to, I guess, dump the Elven pantheon. Or, but they're like, oh, oh yeah, she's a sure, and that's one. Fine. <laughs> yeah. So, and then they unleash a big spell, and Nagash is resurrected. Now, what's a cool scene is that. Archon actually, like when this whole ritual is happening, Manfred's fighting the elves, making sure they don't interrupt the ritual. And when Manfred realizes the ritual has started, he tries to go co-op the ritual to feed the power into himself so he can become very powerful. But when he tries to do that, he gets there and realizes there's a magic barrier in the way because Archon the Black knew he was going to do that. Mm -hmm. And Archon goes, ha ha, nope. And that is genuinely a fun moment in that he specifically designed the barrier so Manfred can't get through it. Uh, because he knew what Manfred was going to try and do. Because it's it's fucking Manfred. Come on. <laughs> like, dude betrayed his own dad. Of course he's going to do that. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and Altharian the Grim is just a badass in this entire final battle. Like, he whoops Manfred's ass. He makes this big final fight. He gets to the barrier and he forces himself through the barrier. Like, he just, through sheer willpower and being Altharian the fucking Grim forces his way through and it kind of destroys his body and when he gets through archon the black's like wow that's really impressive and then just goes and kills him (laughs) he just he literally casts hand of dust and just instantly kills eltharian turning him into dust uh which i thought was it was it's a it's a poignant moment um, it is. See, um, one of the things that uh, you really wanted the end times to do was to celebrate all that was great and good about Warhammer, as we've said multiple times. And Elfari and the Grim Warder of Tori of Res, um had been added in on the fourth edition of the game. So had a long history of around about by the point that this book comes out. We're looking like 32 years off the top of my head. And um, that is a that's a, the sort of character that should definitely be showing up. And the sort of character of we're ending the world who should certainly be dying. And giving him this badass end 
is a good thing to do. So broadly, I'm not against this shit at all. But do I wish that he had been killed by something perhaps a little bit more appropriate? What is the connection between Arkan the Black and Eltharian? Fuck all is the answer. Um, uh, so it's not necessarily the best end for Eltharian, but at least it's an end, and it's one that doesn't seem nonsensical. There is definitely reasons for him to be fighting. There's definitely reasons for him to fall here. So it's all right. I'll bring up Mr. Pig there. Thanks very much, Mr. Pig. My only guess is that they use Voltmar's body to make it so Nagash loses his vulnerability to Sigmar. Not great, but it could be something. And you know what, Mr. Pig? Oh, do I say something there? That was, they could have just taken his blood. They didn't have to turn him into Nagash. That was just rude. <laughs> It was just rude. Um, I think there is a certain um, amusement value to using the Grand Theogenist to do it. Although to me, if you're looking at how uh, religion typically works in the Warhammer world, um, those who are effectively living saints, for want of a better description, the Grand Theogenist is almost a manifestation of Sigmar on Earth. His flesh should be largely incorruptible. His flesh here is not incorruptible. So in some respects, they are going against um, what has already been established as primary Warhammer lore, so to speak. Um, I think it's a shame using parts of him or doing something with him, I think, is worthwhile. Ultimately, though, you want it to be necromancy because that's the whole point of Nagash. And this isn't necromancy. This is just simply repurposing. What I would have thought would have been cooler is if Archon the Black and Manfred had gone on a quest to find Sigmar's mortal corpse to do it. That now been... we're that would have been fucking awesome using Volcar. Yeah, and it would also have been a celebration of Warhammer as a, as a whole. Because ultimately, if it's going to be a celebration of Warhammer, you need to be saying Warhammer, the fucking Warhammer, Heldenhammer, his his fucking self. Artolf, is this the right one? Because if this is the right one, the you the the Haven is not what you think, think it Volmar, is. Because he's secret Ron Jeremy. Let's say the less we say about that, the best. Oh, better. Jesus Christ, Haven. <laughs> That's pretty uh, much it. seriously. Um, but yeah, cut a long story short on this one. Um, it's definitely a story choice. They could have made arguably better choices, but this isn't the worst that the end times has to offer by an enormous an enormous stretch this is fine this is the resurrection re-resurrection depending upon how you look at it of nagash he's back who doesn't want to have nagash around and some of the artwork for nagash coming back is proper kick-ass um it's it's not the worst part of the end times i didn't hate this i didn't like how some of it was executed i thought the pulling together of the various individuals was in fact just super super weird not just a little bit odd but the eight individuals plus our elf makes no great sense doesn't speak to the story of nagash doesn't even speak to the eight winds of magic doesn't speak to really anything to the point that i was just left going why did they do it like this what was the plan yeah um okay so looking it's at the time Oh, thank um, you. If you were asked to redo end times but had to keep the basic ideas, <laughs> yes, I would. And I think I could do it really well as well. Um, yeah, it's that's how I, I feel about it as well. Like, yeah. I would not throw away. There are people that are like, oh, throw away everything and start over. No, there, no. there are some really good things I would use. Yep. Ditto. Uh, um, I, I think there's a hell of a lot of good in there. I just think that the storytelling was was often just thrown out the window for the per for the story they were trying to reach yeah and I, one thing i also want to say is that a lot of people 
and I understand why people feel Thanks, this way, bro. get really upset and think like, oh, it's super dumb that like Chaos 1 and Warhammer World blew up. And it's like, that's that's kind of been foretold for a really long time. Like, yeah. that's how Warhammer ends. Chaos blows up the world. Like, yeah. that is that is literally how it ends. Like, if you're if you're sticking true, I think, to what it feels like the intent always was, it, that's how it has to end. I could not agree more. Um, if you're going to be telling the story of the end times, the story is chaos winning. It has always been a five minutes to midnight setting, so to speak. There is the cycles of chaos invasions. The ever-chosen, our 13th ever-chosen Archeon, has 12 previous attempts where they attempted to wipe out the world. And that is something that is pretty much a part of Warhammer Almost, almost from the beginning, whether it was the ever chosen story, which came later, around about was that sixth, fifth, fifth, sixth? Where was Archeon first added? It was in the uh, Champions fifth, of Chaos fifth, book. Champions fifth. of Chaos book in the box with the additional box set. So that's fifth um, with the box set, totally. Um, so there you go. That's fifth edition onwards. We had the ever chosen. But before that, we still had Chaos trying to wipe out the world. We had the Realms of Chaos books where they were trying to wipe out the world. Um, it's not a new storyline. It is the story of Warhammer. It's the story that should be told. I'm also going to drop in Rogan. Thank <laughs> you very much. I hardly know. I don't know why I love that joke structure so much. The I hardly know her. It's stupid, but I always love that joke. So um, to speed run through a couple things, uh, Nagash goes to Nehekar. Yeah, I... We've only really got half yeah. an hour to do the next four yeah. books. What the hell yeah. happened? Well, the good news is the rest of them are very short and all happen at the same time, generally yeah, speaking. Yeah, it's fair. So, it's fair. Uh, so Nagash goes to Nehekara. He fights the Tomb Kings and he wins. Uh, just going to summarize that's that all pretty up. much it really um, isn't it it's, oh, but, but his winning brings about a really big change for him yeah it is a very fun story the gash attacks nehekar from a bunch of different directions he picks nine more tarks which is really fun where he get he has like nine champions and we get like he brings back vladvar karstein uh kind of hilariously much to manfred's upsetty spaghetti um he brings hey, you know he calls upon the nameless aka cast uh Drakenfels, who they couldn't call Drakenfels for legal reasons so they called him the nameless uh <laughs> and they imply he's Drakenfels the entire time um he calls upon luther harkin who magically escapes from the lizardmen despite the fact in the eighth edition luther harkin gets captured by the lizardmen no idea how he got out and they don't bother to explain <laughs> but uh and he gets like dieter helschnitt as one of his mortarks and it's a whole bunch of guys which is fun uh and the invasion is really fun it's very well written uh yes yeah he's yeah <laughs> yeah archaon it's he's really just escaping under on, on under all that armor but uh <laughs> or abaddon <but, laughs> oh yeah abaddon's like i need to win just let me win one just once. <laughs> but um uh there is a lot of fun stories there like the tomb kings are not loyal to cetera a lot of them betray cetera because they want to grasp at power that's very fitting for the tomb kings they're they, like they've always been considered a neutral faction because they're very self-obsessed so like the whole nehekaran storyline is pretty cool the only thing i don't like is when nagash eats usirian um yeah the whole eating of a god thing um i i don't dislike the concept i just didn't like the execution um i don't think it was necessary at all particularly because it starts confirming that the gods are something that is of deep and extraordinary importance i also didn't really like what happens with the whole wind of shyish yeah so oh god 
Oh, yeah. Okay. So, let's, <laughs> oh. so this is yeah. This is actually kind of an interesting topic. Uh, uh, in the end times, one of its major features is the vortex gets unbound. Yep. Now Nagash kickstarts it much earlier than the the rest of it happens because Nagash, when he comes out, he's so strong. Like which, Jesus Christ, he's so strong. He rips the wind of death out of the vortex. Which is a little weird because that's not technically how the vortex works, but it's like not how it works. And yeah, the, he, in fact, just a small rant. This plot line is bullshit. It's not. It's just bullshit. It doesn't make sense to anything at all that had been previously discussed about how the winds of magic work, about how the gates work, about how death, work, about how any of it works. Um, it yeah. was literally done because you could write words one after another in word. Um, yes, you could see it. I will pull the wind of Shyish, all of it, from the vortex into me. What? I yeah, mean, yeah, so, you can write that, but what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, so what the gash function the writing for it is very simple and doesn't really make sense. But what he functionally does is he makes himself like the end point for the wind of death, which there are a lot of much better ways they could have tried to write that really um, was but like what he what like, and funny enough he does this again in age of sigmar but in age of sigmar it's way better written how he does it but in in fantasy they're like oh he just rips the wind out and puts like injects it into himself but then he realizes he can't because turns out the ever child oh my god she wasn't which i still find it so funny that archon the black and manfred could not figure out that she was Tyrion's kid, even though it's so obvious. <laughs> but anyway, um, sh uh, she had the curse of Cain in her because she's a descendant of Anarian. And so Nagash has the curse of Cain in him because he took her curse blood. of Cain. I mean, I love that as a twist. Yeah, um, that, it I, is I, a think fun twist. I think it's beautiful. These little that, that's actually one of my biggest issues with the whole thing. There's loads of great potential story in here, but it's all predicating on previous broken shit because they didn't do the storytelling properly. As we said earlier in the stream, the 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 actual story behind him having a daughter with the ever queen and it being the ever child and everyone thinking that it's broken it doesn't make sense none of the elves would believe it it would require something super special for this to be the case and it's particularly being Tyrion would have been six when she was most likely born what the fuck is going on there but nevertheless the story itself is brilliant it's just they didn't build all of the necessary bricks into place to have a strong wall so the second you look at it with any real thought you realize that it just blows over with a single gust and like a wolf coming along you realize that they didn't build their house out of bricks they built it out of straw yeah and like i said there are some good things here like the whole thing yeah. with the gash's body is cursed so he can't absorb he cannot become a true locus of the wind of death like oh okay i like that and then he yeah. grounds it into sylvania and he's like okay this is where death magic goes now um it's like <laughs> eh, okay uh whatever so and then he wanders sure. off he wanders off to Nehekara because he's like, all right, I got to purify all this filth out of me. And Neferata's like, hey, look, I found Valea, which like Jesus Christ. But uh, <laughs> oh, God, I forgot. About yeah, Neferata literally <laughs> by pure fucking chance stumbled on Valea's tomb. And Valea appeared. <laughs> yeah, and, and she's in a god coma and Neferata oh. fights Thoric Ironbrow. And what admittedly is a really cool fight, like Thoric cool Ironbrow, fight. King Cosador versus Neferata and Krell. I will say one of my biggest criticisms of the whole Nagash book is he has nine Mortarks and none of them fucking die, um, which like that war should have cost Nagash a lot. 
Yeah. Like all the stuff he accomplishes, he should have lost at least half of the more tarts. Um, like, like Krell, in my opinion, Krell should have just fucking died in the dwarf fight. There was no need yeah, to drag him perfect, out. It was a perfect time to try and kill them. Plus the concept of, um, if we're get, you need to have stakes. And if Nagash is rising so strong, and let's be honest, Nagash is not rising so that he can be on the side of the chaos gods who are looking to end the world. He is actually, in some respects, according to some individuals, potentially a force for heavy quotation marks, good and that he's going to be holding back potentially chaos with his very existence he's, he's not a good guy the force yeah, for no, no, order no. let's say order here. yeah, yeah. Not, 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 chaos. Does love it. Broad, order, not order chaos. versus um uh, destruction because they don't like saying law versus chaos because that's very michael moorcock um so he is a force of uh power against the chaos gods so it should have cost them the chaos gods themselves should have been undermining every last step of nagash's rise to power the changeling should have been working its way through this or not perhaps even working against the chaos gods because the changeling's a dick um they should have been doing some lovely storytelling all the way through this there was loads of opportunity for it they had a giant fucking book that spent an entire chapter talking about just one battle fuck that there's a lot that could have gone in here to make it be a little bit more smooth sense. Yeah, and, and there, there are some parts that are good and some parts mm. that are especially dumb here. Um, like, there's mm. a whole thing of, like, uh, Kalita gets lured to Lamia, which makes perfect sense. Like, Neferata right. goes to Lamia as a distraction, and it works yep, yep. perfectly. Like, it attracts a bunch of the Tomb Kings who fucking hate Neferata, including Kalita. They have a big fight. One of them should have died and said none of them die. And it's yeah. really dumb. Like they did not result. They should have just ended the Kalita Neferata feud right there. It's the yeah. end of the fucking world. This is when you end it. Yeah. Fun fact uh, for anyone curious, the Kalita Neferata, instead, they quite literally kiss and make up and uh, are like holding each other when the world blows up. Because, you know, that makes any fucking sense. God, Josh Reynolds and his. <laughs> anyway, he's uh, on dead garbage. But uh, so. Uh, which you know completely ruins the characters, but that's fine. Um, so uh, but it reminded you know, are... me a little bit of the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, there are oh, it all comes crashing down on the Lannisters who are together again for reasons that nobody yeah, yeah, it's really literally understands. that it's uh, basically that it's just a bullshit storyline to create a moment that and by itself, if you just saw that moment, you go, How cool does that look? But then you look at the characters and you go, They'd never fucking do that ever. But yep. because you wanted that moment, the characters suddenly make a bunch of decisions that lead to a really odd and unexpected ending. Yeah, but uh, anyway, Tomb Kings fight vampire counts and other mm -hmm. Tomb Kings. Big war breaks out. Nagash, uh, or Setra, throws down with Archon the Black, kills him. That would have been awesome if it would have been a permanent kill on Archon. Of course, he just immediately comes back because Archon. Uh, but uh, Setra kills him, and then turns out that was a ploy. Yep, Nagash manifests inside of Kimri, and then he somehow finds the door to the underworld in Kimri. Oh, uh, I hate this uh, And he goes down to Itsu Syrian after a big fight, and it's it's very weird and unnecessary. Like, I, I, I we don't. If have that single god is so important, then all the rest of them should be too. Um, it just it undermines and creates stories that the whole. Yeah, we don't. Oh, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have, have time for the Tomb King Pantheon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> There is, I think, an entire stream in how important the gods end up being because of some of the individual elements of the end times. Yeah, there is. But they sideline all the rest of them because of the one they focused on, and it's really strange. 
Yeah, like, and there, there are some cool bits. Like, there's a mention about how Thra had literal angelic beings as functionally his greater demons, and it's like, that's oh, that cool. sounds that sounds yeah. cool. But we don't get to see them because turns no. out Nagash killed them way back during the original war and made them into super monsters that are very cool looking. But like, he could have just done that during the end times, and it would have made a lot more sense. Uh, yep. But anyway. Um, but anyway, so uh, Setra has his final battle with Nagash. It's fantastic. It has one of the best pieces of art in the entirety of the end times where you have Nagash like awesome. looming over Setra and Setra being like, fucking bring it on. It yeah. also has one of the best lines in the end times where Nagash is like, hey, let's team up. We both hate chaos. And Setra says Setra will not serve. Like Setra, okay. I, Setra's like, I will literally burn everything is if I do not get to be king, which like and that is a good line. That's and that good. shows how pride get comes before the fall. That is the sort of shit that the entire end times, in many respects, should have been. Lots of people who could have who could have won, not winning because of their pride, because of hubris, because of whatever individual character flaws that they have. And the Warhammer world is built on people who have cracks in their otherwise perfect visages. And that is what should have brought about the end. And it's something that we've discussed in previous streams where we were, for example, discussing what could have happened with Malekith and Grombrindel and various other individuals and how they could have been effectively responsible for burning the world around them because of their pride, because of their hatreds, because of all the wars that had come beforehand, because chaos had seeped into everyone and the fissures had come up through them. That should have been the end. And this, I think, is a perfect example of that. Setra does not take the knee. Yep. And so Nagash literally rips a piece from piece and literally just destroys Kimri to make a point, which like, fair. All right. Um, and then they all leave. And then for, for some reason, the dark gods come in and go, hmm, hey, Setra. And they put, because Setra doesn't die weirdly. Like his body gets ripped asunder, but he's just there, I guess, even though he should have died instantly uh, because his body is what keeps his soul safe. It's in his body. But when Nagash destroys his body, he just stays there. Hey, I'm Setra. <laughs> uh, but uh, so the dark gods put Setra back together and say, hey, you should serve us instead. And we get this beautiful piece of art that shows Setra watching the sunset and with no explanation of what he's doing. And you think, oh, wow, that's the final page. That's a really cool plot hanger. Like, what's what's Setra going to do? Like, did the Dark Gods put it back? Like, presumably, wow, maybe they just put him back so he can undermine the gash or something. Uh, so here's a fun fact. If you don't read the individual novels, Setra never comes back. <laughs> resurrected and does nothing. nothing uh in the novels uh he returns to save nagash um which completely goes against what he what did earlier fuck? and he says uh yeah the dark gods uh resurrected me and told me to serve them so out of a fuck you to them i'm gonna help you beat them then i'm gonna kill you which like i uh, why why bring him back for just that it's pointless um, which it, it, I'm just going to bring this one up just to add one little line, all because of what was put in place by others, which would be easily undone by Nagash at the yeah, peak. Of the do you hear the part where I said where Nagash flattened Kimri into like yeah, dust? There's just nothing <laughs> left. There's um, no, there's no pyramid of central left. Yeah, Nagash at this point is effectively a god, and life and death is pretty much in the palm of his hands by the way that it's written. Death is now his province. He's almost set up as the character that he's going to become in the Age of Sigmar. He is almost there. And 
no, um, there is no coming back for anyone that he doesn't want to come back. Cetra should be dead. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, now, fun fact, the next few books are very easy to fast forward through because they're so short, <laughs> which also is a big flaw of the end times is the first book is so big and like, yeah, it has its problems, but at least it's awesome and detailed and fun. Mm. Glotkin is a single siege, basically. Uh, I actually hate this book. Yeah, so do I. It is it is my least favorite book overall yep. because it's such a it's out of a five part series to wipe out the entire world. It focuses on the fall of a technically like three, but in reality, one empire city, which yep. does not. It's like what a waste. Also, virtually none of the characters are returning characters. They are all yep. brand new characters. Which what the fuck? It's the end of days. Use the characters we already have. Here instead, comes Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Instead, the Glockin. And the reason the Glockin shows up is because in Age of Sigmar, he's the first big bad. Like they they were setting up for the first edition of Age of Sigmar. So the Glockin shows up at, out okay. of nowhere. Uh, there's no build-up to him. He literally just shows up and is Archeon's like big lieutenant of Nurgle, which like what? What Who? the fuck? Who the yeah. fuck is the Glotkin? And he's like, oh yeah, you're my big bad now. Um, Here, take this. Now, in the Age of Sigmar, the Glotkin is awesome. He sh he's an Age of Sigmar character, in my opinion. Which is like, a lot of people are like, oh, I want him in Total War. I don't. <laughs> oh, Fe Total Festus is there as well, just to bring yeah. up um, Sotek's yeah. part. Oh, and so, a, a so, core part there. Yeah, the Glotkin invades, and this leads to a really weird thing in the oh, end times. Where Nurgle and Korn get a lot of attention, and Zinch and Slanesh could just get totally fucking ignored. Uh, um, I'll answer that with a: You really think the Gash isn't going to be popping up in uh, Total War Warhammer? Yeah, I mean he's going to come up at some point. I'm, I'm going to guess he's not going to be the advisor. Yeah, <laughs> no, the advisor is Dodgy Johan. That's that's just a fact. He's Dodgy <laughs> Johan. <laughs> and if you're like, who the fuck is Dodgy Johan? Go watch Lawhammer, and you'll understand. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway. So the Glotkin uh, invades the Empire with a three-pronged invasion because Nurgle, mm -hmm. so three. Um, one invasion is led by the Glotkin, brand new character. Another inv invasion is led by the three Magath Riders, three completely brand new characters. And the, last, and the last invasion is led by, oh my God, I cannot remember his name all of a sudden, uh, the Tentacle Lord, another brand new character. So all of the big Nurgle characters who lead all of the invasions are completely brand new characters that you've never heard of before the end times. Thank you, Gut Rot Spume. Gut Rot Spume, um, that's it. Yeah, I which I, I love Gut Rot Spume. But Gut Rot Spume is also a fairly minor Norskan warlord who's very Nurgly and has like a really cool ship. And he controls a plague fleet, which plague fleets are very well established parts of the lore. I have yeah. no problem with Gut Rot Spume. I have Mac a huge plague fleet from Man of War. Great, yeah, the uh, the Magath Lords and the Glotkin were very unnecessary um, yeah. because they come out of nowhere. Um, so they invade. Uh, the Magath Lords destroy Telepime. Um, Not first. Huh. Uh, yeah, so the Glotkin destroys Marienburg. Okay, it comes through Marienburg first. Is yeah, so he, he yeah, goes yeah. around the ocean route. He destroys Marienburg yeah, and yeah. then makes his way up the river to Altdorf. The, uh, the Magath Lords come down the mountains. Uh, they go through Brass Keep. They get all of the new Nurgle guys from Brass Keep, which like, all right, fine. Oh, sure. um, <laughs> and then they make their way down to Talapime and they destroy it by uh, summoning Epidemius, who, which like, cool, but like Epidemius should have just 
been there in the first place what the fuck anyway so they summon epidemius and epidemius like instantly wins the fight because he because telepime is like kind of a bull and he just goes what if i just make it rain disease pus until the bowl fills up and everybody dies yeah, <laughs> telepime's in a giant crater it's called the eye of the forest um and it, the crater's got a circumference of about 100 miles it's about 30 miles across um as this great enormous bowl and the city itself is over on the left hand over on the yeah, west which is a side. very not epic or fun way for telepime to die it's but like, a shit way given that telepime has never fallen pretty much yeah, ever it's the like, only time it came close was in a computer game in mark hmm. of chaos and in mark of chaos it's, um, the primary center it had lots of fun with that one um and it's a place that's become so integ integrally built into warhammer that it was a shame to see it just kind of go as a footmark given just how much time they then spent on bloody altdorf Yep, and then uh, I don't even remember what the fuck uh, Gutrot Spume. Oh, Gutrot Spume recruits the Beastman. That's right. He meets the Harbinger. Oh, who, he to be fair, all the way through, and yeah. all the big spikes come flying yeah. out the to, forest. Yeah. yeah, yeah to yeah. be fair, uh, the Harbinger is a well-established pre-character, um, yeah, yeah. but uh, he's not a special character per se. But he is mentioned a lot in the lore. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, I really wish they had used like a more Nurgle character. Like I don't know, fucking the the Famine Fiend would have been way cooler, um, and would have made a lot more. Uh, sense, but anyway. and again, if you're looking to be a celebration of all that is Warhammer, what you also want to do is not just speak to whatever the current flavor of the day is, you want to dive into the older lore and pull back some old shit, like say Lothar Bubonicus, um, a character that was kicking around all the way back in third edition of Warhammer, pulling out him on a palanquin of Nurgle and really doing something cool and funky with that would have been yeah, loads of like, fun, and that would have always go ooh, exciting look here's a new model for that thing what hasn't been seen for about 35 yeah. years where was valnir yeah for example uh, yeah um, anyway, there's so loads of good examples of what they could have done but just chose to make some new shit up because they yeah. were heading towards very clearly at this point age of sigmar yeah so siege of altdorf happens also known as the fall of altdorf uh names on the 10 altdorf falls Yep. Um, Carl Franz is killed by the Glotkin, and then literally the second he dies, uh, his, his body is hit by a comet <laughs> that's been like seen in the sky for a while. And it turns out the comet was Sigmar, and Sigmar it is later revealed that Sigmar possesses the corpse of Carl Franz and uses him as a puppet. He becomes Zombie Jesus, which is not, I hate it, I hate it so much. I cannot dislike this particular plot thread more if i tried i will say i will say the fall of altdorf as far as like the overall battle has a lot of fun parts like yeah. Vlad von karstein coming to the city's defense and being like well <laughs> technically i'm the electric kind of uh, sylvania so i'm gonna help and everyone's like uh fine uh like i love that part uh the the last charge of Protonia, fucking awesome uh with king lewin lewin care showing up and like he has his throwdown with kugoth one of my favorite fights in the end times is kugoth played father versus lewin that is a bitchin fight um and lewin then gets immediately murked by festus yeah i mean the, who then is murked by vlad which is just like all right i, I, I get why altdorf is such a primary focus given that warhammer has focused on the empire and its various products again and again and again but if you're wanting to make altdorf the focus of one of your books make it the conclusion not make it a, a footnote along the way it, it put too much focus by book two on one part of the world that in the greatest scheme of the entire world didn't matter 
It yeah. was just the fall of another major city. And there's fucking loads of them in the Warhammer world. And the events that occur here are not really that interesting, other than a couple of the cool fights. And there was a thousand other things they could have done. And the focus here was mental. Yeah. So that's basically the end of that book. Um, yeah. yeah the, the third book is about pretty much the elven civil war uh yeah. nagaroth is lost to the hordes of yeah uh nagaroth is lost to the hordes of corn and malekith says okay fuck this we're gonna go invade ultuan one last time i hate that storyline the whole uh, thing yeah so <laughs> they invade it's it's a mess it's literally a mess uh Lilaith literally kicks everything off once again i've talked about how much she sucks she goes on and on about the war in heaven and that the uh the elven gods had a civil war and that those exact same things are repeating now and so she, her whole thing is to try and like remove herself from it, which is why she has Tekla stand in for her, which leads to a bunch of shenanigans, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, and so there's so much potential good in here. Um, and this is the book that killed me. Um, Glock, the whole Glockkin nonsense was fine, but it was just <laughs> weirdly focused. Um, and there was uh, a, a, a lot teeny of, tiny book, very tiny. It's, yeah, it's really short. There's anyway. a lot of potential good in there, but meh. But this book is just filled with nonsense after nonsense and lots of character decisions by established characters that go against their character. Malekith is just up and down like a bloody roller coaster um uh, making some great decisions and some really weird ones um and the whole destruction of nagaroth is actually crazy even yeah, happens off first, screen for anyone curious uh, yeah it does all off screen even the first steps of it and the chaos arrives but nobody really spots them why because nobody really spots them because those who normally spot them are doing something else what are they doing Shh, nobody really spots <laughs> them they come running in and what happens everyone dies but what about everyone else no everyone's dead now Shh, we've got other things to go do but wait a minute what the fuck happened here i mean they have stood for countless millennia they are fully aware of the traps and the tricks of chaos they have been doing this forever why did they fail why are you asking questions it's already happened dude move on and yep. that's what it feels like when you read through it it's just skipped over so quickly yep so uh war and one happens where the elves get fused back into elves and then mm -hmm. split among the the cane elves and the non-cane elves uh, and they go very large links and bounds to reveal that all of the elven gods are actually no longer gods. They have all taken mortal forms, uh, and all of them are revealed over the course of the Cain book, and all of them die. Uh, <laughs> which, like, so yeah, no, it's no longer an Athel Lauren thing. It's just, it's just <laughs> elven gods see, are just mortals now. No, um, see, I have no issue with the elven gods having avatars and working through them because I've. I can build really good stories around that. But doing reveals to destroy, reveals to destroy, reveals to destroy, it's just terrible storytelling. They could have had a really good moment where, you know, this is what's happening. This is how it's going to occur. Look at what we're now bringing to the final battle. Because ultimately, that's what these books should be about. These books shouldn't be about um uh individual battles and the destruction of individual characters they should be building up they're heading towards the final battle the end of the world and this is a perfect opportunity to do that to say the elves are were broken they were shattered 
thousands of years of civil war has rent them to their core. They destroy Ulthuin because Ulthuin has to be destroyed in the end times because yeah, it's Atlantis. It's Atlantis, and Atlantis sinks. This should be an event of such massive calamity that the entire world feels the ramifications of it. Because, obviously, the vortex itself is going down. But beyond that, when you sink an entire continent, that's going to do things. Beyond your earthquakes, the tidal waves. This is proper cataclysmic end of the world bullshit. This is stuff. Yep. yep. Uh, uh, I just want to add, nothing happens, by the way, when Ulthuan sinks to everyone else. There's no Yes, totally. This not is a big what, deal. This is that's done. why I'm saying this is what should happen. <laughs> and then we get the shattered remnants of their people behind a chastened uh, <clears throat> ever, uh, Phoenix King who has finally realized what he has to be. <clears throat> Eternity <We've> got, King. <clears throat> yeah, the Eternity King. Whatever. We've got a host of people that are broken, but they have their gods. And their gods walk amongst them, finally expressing themselves in the end times. That's a fucking cool story. There's something there that's really massive. But what do they do? Lilith, Lilith, Lilith. All the rest are dead. Lilith, Lilith, Lilith. Other dimension, other dimension. Lilith. Oh, all the lore we have. It's a bit bullshit, actually, because Lilith knows what's really going on. Lilith, Lilith. Oh, Lilith kills herself for a tiny little ritual that doesn't matter for an event that doesn't occur. Oh, by the way, the end. What the fuck? Yeah, uh, Did which- I just read that? If anyone wants some uh, highlights on how the elven gods die, uh, Aretha Kial is the Lord disagrees with itself where one author says, oh yeah, no, she thinks she's a Manfred thinks he turns an elf Eldria, a Tyrion squire into a vampire, but no, he didn't. It's just that she's the embodiment of Aretha Kial. So she kind of appears like a vampire, but she's not a vampire. And then another author went, no, 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 she is a vampire. And because she's a vampire elf, she feels bad and is like, oh, I'm an abomination. And she says, hey, Tyrion, I feel bad. And he goes, oh, okay. And he chops her head off. Um, then uh <laughs> the embodiment of mathlan uh gets captured oh, on a black arc and he goes oh well yeah you captured me but i'm mathlan and he creates a tsunami that destroys a lot of the elven guys but also kills him for some reason um, because that makes sense uh and vol um oh. being uh uh puts up a really big fight against uh like all of these elves in the the first big fight between alariel and Tyrion, because alariel being aisha and Tyrion's like i'm going to capture you and i'm going to reperform the event known as the rape of aisha and like capture you and all this shit and so they have this big fight and Tyrion hilariously gets grabbed by dirthu and like yeeted um <laughs> way far away um but uh yeah that whole thing um the way vol dies is that he so vol knows he's gonna die right according to prophecy and he's fighting and he's unstoppable nobody can touch him he's just beating the shit out of everyone he's kicking ass he's taking names he's unstoppable and then <laughs> this makes me laugh because it's so goofy he, he he bodies like a whole contingent of elves and Araloth is like good job Vol. and Vol turns and looks at him and he's just kind of like yeah sorry i die now and a sister <laughs> of slaughter gets up she was pretending to be dead she stands up and she stabs Vol in the back and he dies it's some serious bullshit going on there yes yeah, so, um, <laughs> he knew, he knew she was there he just didn't just... do anything he was like all right yeah i gotta go I'm going to pull up Godzilla's comment because we should do. Thanks very much, Godzilla. You rock. <laughs> and we somehow, yeah, th this is worth covering too. And we somehow got to believe Chaos Dwarves and Grand Cathay got the shit kicked out by Grimgore. One faction with weapons of mass destruction and the other with dragon fucking demigods. Yeah, well, so if anyone is going to destroy anything, it's the Greenskins. Yeah, fair enough. They can build themselves an enormous wah. And yeah, it is one way of doing it. Um, 
But if you're only doing it because you're not sure what's over there, which is pretty much the case, or you don't care, which is the case for the Chaos Dwarves, it's a very, very shit way of saying. And then all those other people over there, we don't know what happened to them. We just killed them with green skins. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Everyone got killed by Skavener Greenskins, functionally. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Chaos uh, barely I, got to kill anybody, hilariously. Um, <laughs> um, but, for the end of the world, the big fat last battle was surprisingly lacking. Yeah, uh, I will say that I do think Grimgor killing Zarnagrand makes sense. As, it just sucks that it happened off screen. Yeah, it really does make sense because if you're going to bring down the Chaos Dwarves, it should be the Slave Uprising. Um, that's how it should end. It should be the Black Orcs that bring it down, their own creations um, that bring down Zarnagar. Yeah. Grimgor, Grimgor returning home, because that, that's where he's from. Yeah, yeah, okay. totally. Returning home to finish what he started, great, cool. Perfect. And in fact, I don't just love it. I think that is a wonderful story. And I love the idea of Grimgor in general. I just don't like the execution, as is often the case here. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, they have this whole prophecy about the Chosen of Mork and the Chosen of Gork, and they just decide to completely and ignore they, that. They just disappeared. Uh, Where's that? Goes, oh, look, huge prophecy. It's probably him. It's probably him. Oh, huge. Morka, Gorka. Oh, uh, I've forgotten now. Wait, what was that? Don't worry about it. The world will end. We'll sort of, sort of hint at that come the next game <laughs> yeah so anyway uh the vortex gets uh, undone uh by teclas because he realizes that he's like oh yeah we need to like make incarnates now like I, we just have to so he rips apart the vortex and he tries to put all of the winds into elves being a cheeky little bastard but he only gets three of them um actually no he gets yeah he gets three so he takes the lore of light into his staff which like very line to interrupt there and uh i totally understand that where total war warhammer is also not my one my one uh total war warhammer for me is a culmination of all in many respects it's what the end times possibly should have been it's yeah. all the things from warhammer and celebrated and thrown into a single game now does it all make sense no it, but is it awesome yeah, yeah um one day, so, one day yeah. we will have a total war warhammer verse stream with andy because mm -hmm. it actually has a really interesting story that's kind of hidden beneath the surface but we don't have time for it right now anyway so uh <coughs> um the vortex creates the incarnates and this is what a lot of people have asked for our opinions about as far as like what we would have done because the incarnates is kind of a fun idea of like the winds of magic are forced into people who become embodiments of and are they're they're gods like they're functionally gods yes um because actual gods don't get to do anything in the end time so they make magic gods instead it's really weird, actually, because they put so much strength where previously on what the gods are and how they're important, and the gash consuming a god. And then they go, yeah, gods, we've got a whole bunch of other ones, but we're going to forget about them now. And instead, we're going to make our own. Yeah, the Empire gods, uh, fun fact, uh, literally do nothing. Like, they show up in Glotkin because Tall is getting, like, infected by Nurgle and is dying. But then the fall of Altdorf, the Empire wins, technically. Um, and the Glotkin is defeated, and Tall heals, like, like Shalia gets freed from Nurgle's realm and all this shit. Like every, they heal Tall, and you're like, "Wow, Tall's back in the fight," and he never does anything else. He's just gone, pin the neck. Thanks, Swoop. Yeah, Swoop. Yeah, yeah. That is, yeah. There is a there is an off screen note that Jules Breton and Aberash team up along with the Red Duke and Red like Duke every there. still living Bretonian and like Blood Dragon character, and they make some epic final stand somewhere against something. And we have no idea what that's about. And yeah, that just it never gets talked about. Yeah, totally. And uh, <laughs> I mean, Grimgor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I quite like um, Grimgor and where he got used. It was pretty good. Anyway, yeah. back to where we were. 
Yeah, so uh, the Incarnates end up being Malekith was supposed to receive the Wind of Fire, but it breaks free of Teclis's control because actually going to actually, and it, instead he grabs the Wind of Shadow and throws it into Malekith. So Malekith becomes the uh, Incarnate of Shadow, which like cool, fine, fair. Um, Alario becomes the Incarnate of Life, probably the most obvious pick of obvious ever obvious, uh, especially because her and Ariel are not the same person. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Teclis somehow uh, takes the Lore of Light into his staff, which. Wow, what a staff. Uh, I know it's the staff of Lilith, but wow, <laughs> that's impressive, I guess. Um, and so uh, the other winds escape. So the war of the wind of beasts goes off into the east and it eventually roots itself into Grimgore Ironhide, Grimgore. which is which is thing. wild. Um, it, it's it's a thing. Uh, I we'll, really dislike it. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back around to that in a second. Uh, and then because it's a whole thing. Uh, yeah, the, wind, the wind of fire uh, one uh, finds its way to Karakadrin, where it eventually goes into Ungram Iron Fist. After oh, we're setting Karak up Age of Sigmar there. Yep, and then the lore of metal, uh, it, or the wind of metal, goes to Karazakarak, where it absorbed into the throne of power, and by extension, um, uh, Thorgrim Grudgebearer. The wind of who am I still missing? The wind of oh heavens, right? Uh, ended up somehow getting out and going to the comet that was already in the sky, but was not a thing, but now is it a thing. It's not exactly clear how that happened, but it happened and it slams into Karl Franz and turns out Sigmar was the wind of heavens all along. Uh, of course he was. Cause that makes sense. Yeah. I'm the wind uh, of killing the future. Yeah. That sounds like Sigmar. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah, man, that they really stretched that comet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they really have. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me and then the last wind is death which of course nagash already took out nagash totally and a quick luring line thanks very much um there oh really not sure what you're reallying at there um if someone could clarify if you could drop uh, he was he was reallying at the uh a stream about the total war lore oh total right well, that'd lore, be the case absolutely um and prologue when prologue to my campaign if that's the case uh that will come in time don't just trust me yeah your your, your playthrough of the prologue Ah, that. Oh, now I understand what you're talking about. That's um. Uh, I was trying to play it the other day, and it was stuttering a bit, and I didn't think it would make a very good um stream. So we'll see. Um, we're still discussing how best to do that behind the scenes. Yeah. So, so with that, I I will say I don't know how Andy feels about this. Uh, I honestly am fine with the idea of incarnates. I do like cool, fine, whatever. Um, uh, the idea okay, so of I'm also fine with it. I really like the idea of attempting to do this. Um, I'm not fine that the only reason that they did it was to set up effectively Age yeah, of Sigmar. The, the, the AOS. Um, yeah. and, and it's really quite obvious that that's what they're doing. I'm also not fine with the fact that it got so centralized on characters that were so very, very focused um, on that very small part of the world. It's yeah uh mornington crescent thank you for the 100 bits as well um, oh i missed that oh yeah there uh, it is. let me bring that up thank you i was too busy being fine. There, there, i think there's certainly an argument there um yeah so, i think there's a good argument there this is a question that a lot of people have asked us so we're gonna go ahead and dive into it of andy yep. if if at gunpoint you were yep. you were forced to choose eight characters to be the incarnates of the eight winds that stand against chaos who would you apply to which wind Okay, so we've got a really interesting situation here. Um, and that is we have ourselves eight winds of magic 
arguably more if you dive into the deeper lore. Only let's, just say, <laughs> let's just say we've got our eight winds of magic that are coming through from the chaos gate, and we're going to do the classic storytelling thing. It's what Teclas did when he came over to the Empire, and mm. he said, hey, Empire, see all your wizards. They use chaos, and we need to have chaos to fight chaos. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some of your wizards and teach them how to be proper wizards, and we're going to use them to face off against Azavar Kul, the 12th ever chosen. So this is already Teclas' thing, and he's had a good 200 years to build up to this point, and he goes, you know what? We're losing. The world is going to come to an end. We have got to use chaos against chaos so that's why i'm not against the idea it makes sense for the character it's it, it takes upon story beats that have come from the past and it then uses them in a new way that is brilliant so techless draws upon the winds and somehow he gets past all that nonsense and and managed to create incarnates love it now where do they go now, each of the eight wins um, would be from Teclas' perspective. I think, agreeably, he would almost certainly want to channel those into creatures that he thinks could absolutely cope with it. And he is a mortal man with mortal limitations. He will only have the awareness of what he has. And that is that elves are almost certainly the best repository for this shit. That will be his perspective. Mm. But he's also aware that elves themselves are fundamentally broken. Um, in that they are constantly working against each other. But when push comes to shove, come the end of the world, they will stand together, hopefully. So his first step being elves, 100% makes sense. So if we're going under the story of it, as in, for example, we're looking just at the characters that are around him and what he would attempt to do, it would be, as blunt as I can make it, whoever the fuck he can get. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that that doesn't necessarily make the best story, but you can change the story that leads up to this point to make sure that the story works really well. There's lots of important elven princes and lots of important elven mages. You've got to remember that he is the lore master of Hoth, the high lore master of Hoth, and he has underneath him hundreds of fucking wizards okay who have mm. studied he knows them all from the last 200 years of print well it's not 200 it's about 150 years of leading the fuckers the previous high lore master passing over the title to him he knows all of them the chance that he wouldn't be able to pluck individual ones is just beyond stupid he would know exactly who is the best to inhabit each so if we're just purely talking about the story the story completely misses the point and just goes who's the coolest character that has the most points we'll give it to him and that's largely <laughs> the route that they went with um for the books what would actually happen is that teclas would choose the best people for it and probably not himself because he carries the curse of fucking cain he is broken he would not choose himself. And I think that would speak to his character, a character of sacrifice, someone who realizes he has to do the best for the world. And then he almost certainly would be in a position where he eventually he has to take it on himself because no one else is worth is capable of handling it. And I think that makes a great story. The staff is stupid. It's yeah, beyond yeah. stupid. I, well, I, I hate it. Yeah. Well, it gets even more stupid, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, so <laughs> we've got that. But... We're then moving beyond that as a setup um, to 
what would you do if you could just pick individual characters? Yeah, okay. So let's, win. let's because that's where we really yeah. want. Let's assume um, the situation is so dire. Teclas has to like so pick immediate individuals, and he let's can't pick choose a all of different them. story. Let's pick that he pulls off and peels apart the winds, um, and he intends to throw them into the elves, but the winds are beyond his control, which I think is an obvious step. Yeah, and they fair, instead yeah. go to the best souls that are living in the entire Warhammer world. Completely different setup. And he has no control, and they just tear off in different directions. So the light wind goes to the best representation of white. The bright wind goes to the single mortal that best represents that. And the spell is attached to those individual souls. If we make that actually ridiculous, almost certainly could never come about, spell come to pass then that's much more interesting and fascinating yes, yes. um I, and, I, I like this version continue yeah I, I figure you might um so for me let's start off with let's go round the circle top of the circle is what light as i recall so light sure, wind. Light. okay so uh, uh let me just quickly pull up the comment because you don't want to miss the comments <laughs> hey hammond thank you very much uh, hey andy lord of chariots goes to who <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, oh, I, I think Andy yeah. only knows half of those characters. <laughs> no, I know I know them all. Um, oh, I'm going to Cetra. You, yeah, you I do know, know Sir Belkac. I, I do, but let's move on. Um uh I I'm, I'm getting um all caught up. So first, our lore oh, of man. light. If our if it's our lore of light, we want somebody who is pure. We want someone who is a manifestation of purity, intellect, the ultimate um lack of uh, emotion, someone that is almost divine in his uh and it's direct. It's Mazda Mundi. I mean, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, the lore of light falls into Mazda Mundi. He is the perfect representative. He has no emotion. The lore of light has no real emotion lying behind it. One of the biggest issues that light wizards have is that uh, they become more philosophical and more distant from everything around them. It's not logical step by step. That's the lore of Shamon. Shamon. Um, we're looking at somebody who is going to be a representation of everything that stands almost as a figurehead of all that's holy as well. It's Mazda Mundi. He pretty much is. Um, and I can look around lots of other very holy characters all around the world, but they all miss one of the important parts, and that's the separate of their, the separation of their emotion. They're not cold-blooded. You want to get that cold-blooded feel there. Um, what do you think of the Lord of Light? Well, you know, um, I actually... So I like that a lot. And I also like mm -hmm. the representation of like how it would appear from the lizardman's perspective of like, it would be like the sun itself is unleashing this blessing of light upon uh, Mazda Mundi. But it's also like, it's not, it's not the warmth of the sun, but it's instead that cold intellectual light of the old ones themselves and yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Um, you know, whenever I've been kind of forced to work with this list, uh i i usually until the wind comes and it would have been i think a really fun um characterization change yeah and yeah yeah uh, and that's the thing uh, on, the, the other thing the the end times like it kind of tried to do the smallest bit and then it just completely forgot about it is that the winds would dramatically alter the people they went into yes like the, the end times kind of plays around with it where it's like oh teclas wanted the lore fire to go into malekith because he thought it would bring out his best bits but instead he gets the lore shadow which causes not his necessarily his worst bits but some of the not as great parts of his nature to be inflamed uh but then it kind of just completely abandons those ideas as we get later into the end times because they didn't want to keep up with it but um yeah no i actually like that a lot because when when i usually think about this question i don't give myself i think the luxury of being like oh i'll pick whoever i want instead i'm like okay i'm gonna my goal has always been to try and like i'm gonna try and pick one 
character from every race or yeah, like you, have, you almost can't help yourself yeah you like I want, I want i want a win to go to like every every race gets a wind um but uh i like that a lot because initially it's like if you have like if at gunpoint games workshop was like oh you have to run with the sigmar plot of like someone has to represent sigmar then i would have been like eh, i guess i'd make carl franz the embodiment of lore of light from like the holiness perspective um but no i like Mazda Money a lot more yeah, yeah so i drop him Mazda monday there um and i would have it fundamentally return him to the state that the old ones wanted him to be um that this was actually the great plan and this is what gives him the ability to do what needs to be done which is how the very first book nagash states the lizardman position is exodus in that they see the great comet coming they and they go it's all gone wrong. The great plan has gone wrong. We need to leave. Their whole point is they need to leave. They don't. They end up fighting Skaven for fucking ever. And yeah, they leave at the any last sense. second, which right. it's, it's proper crazy what they actually do. But this would have been the point where Mazda Monday becomes uh, almost an effigy of what the old ones were originally intending this land to be. He returns to type uh, the chaos of the uh, old world as it stands finally settles in him and allows him to uh execute that. exodus and and they activate the engines of the old ones and the lizardmen fuck off they're gone and i think that is um an unexpected uh potential outcome for what the unleashing of the winds would have been for some it will be fight and for others it will be flee and the lizardmen have access to shit that no one else does it's time for them to go Mm. do you think because like a part of me feels like uh there are some that would have stayed like of the list oh yeah yeah like, oh, I, don't, I, I almost think like i would have had Mazda mundi stay around for the final fight i, I wouldn't have i'd have had him because because he's the walking representation of everything that's left of the old ones i'd have i would have made him realize he had made an error um I, because he is infallible and he thinks he's infallible um and i would have allowed that infallibility to hit its actual point the, the whole point of this land <laughs> is their infallibility i quite like that as a step up but you but know how am i gonna have my council of incarnates if he leaves <laughs> yeah quite and, and you know what yeah tough to that because I'm, I'm quite happy to break that um plus once he goes the wind potentially lashes out to something else um, because he's gone. So you could potentially get your castle anyway. Um, so next wind is uh, Shamone. Um, sure, do you want to go on this one first? Uh, yeah, I will say I personally very much love the idea that it's drawn to the throne of power. Uh, I like the idea very, very much that the Rune of Azamar is such an insane concentration of magic and that I like the idea that the throne of power probably has a lot of runes that don't work anymore uh, because there's not enough magic left in existence for them too but when the wind of shaman is drawn to it because it is this ultimate expression of what the wind of metal is capable of of manipulating the winds into all these really interesting different forms and these uh the processes that grugni used to create like an ultimate expression of smithing forging inventiveness creativity it sparks to life and all of a sudden all these runes that have been hidden for thousands of years just flare to life and whoever's sitting on the throne is the incarnate of metal. Of like, I would, I do like the idea that Thorgrim's on it, and potentially Thorgrim ends up dying for some reason, and somebody else has to take the throne. And there's like a really interesting story to tell there of who else, who would be worthy amongst the apocalypse should the High King fall. Um, who would step into that void? And I think there's a fun story to explore there. But I would say, in a sense, the throne is the incarnate because no dwarf, no dwarf could be an incarnate. So I, I broadly agree here. 
um, which is interesting because I didn't expect I was going to. Um, so um, what I would look for is for a representation, because um, in the end, what you're looking for is each one of the wins to go to the uh, the faction, I suppose, that actually represents them. And the forges, the logic, the step-by-step -step process um, is uh, the greed. Don't forget the greed is the dwarfs. It has to go to the dwarfs, hmm. but the dwarves themselves will repulse the wind which means that you need to create some fashion around which that the the dwarves can manifest this wind in a different way, which is why each one of the winds needs to have its own story, so to speak. The pure, light, ephemeral, strange, weird ones are the lizardmen, the ones who represent crafting, fashioning stuff. The bang, 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 the alchemy of it all, if you will, is the dwarfs as a faction. So you'd want them to have it, um, which means that you're going to have to look at the runesmiths. They are ultimately mm. the ones who are going to channel it. And the throne of power or an anvil of doom or something, perhaps even the nemesis crown itself. Oh, God, bring it back the nemesis crown. So for me, <laughs> I would probably drop it on the nemesis crown because ultimately Alaric the Mad has been attached to all of the most important dwarven artifacts um, in the lore, if not necessarily for the dwarves. Um, in that they created the Rune Fangs, arguably created Galmaraz, but then everybody arguably created Galmaraz. Scalf Blackhammer arguably created yeah. Galmaraz. Yeah, or um, Thugny. Yeah, or like exactly. Did, yeah. Um, or, or even Spednir. I mean, who knows who did it? But arguably created Galmaraz, and I would ultimately drop it potentially there. You have an option of dropping it onto Galmaraz um, as another option as well. But for yeah. me, it would probably be the Nemesis Crown, and for one reason only you can put that fucker on your head and that's awesome. Mm. Um, and it also ties in the old Nemesis Crown campaign. So for, if you're looking for the- <laughs> Yeah, Games Workshop would have had to admit it to it existing. That's why I thought it would yeah. be like, never. <laughs> but if you're looking for the end times to be uh, a representation yeah, no, of everything I... that came before, I think that's a beautiful way to tie in that old plot line and also speak to Alaric the Mad, the Time of Sigmar and all those cool stories. Yeah, the so only me, reason- the the only reason I would agree is because of the bringing back the crown campaign and acknowledging it as a celebration of everything that's happened in Warhammer. Otherwise, yeah. I still I still prefer the Rune of Azimar. But yeah, I get that, and I think I don't think that's a bad idea. That that is not one where I'd go. Yeah, no, I'm like, yeah, that's great. I love it. Um, yeah, yeah love it. So uh, next is Azir, the wind Az of Azir is tough. Ah, Azir, Azir is. Fucking this is the hard. tough one now. Azir is a wind of seers, it's a wind of the heavens, it's a wind of telling the future, it's the winds of the bolt from the blue, it's the um wind of lightning as well. You could argue, um, a wind of, of wind, um, to a degree. Um, and what you'd be looking then for is something that can fly, something that's airborne, something that's directly tied to seeing the future, who is capable of seeing what lies next. And this is something I think that I would almost certainly build up towards. You'd be looking for the faction that most speaks to seeing the future and having seers. And we have a couple here, some of which may be unexpected. For example, the Skaven. The very heart of the Skaven. <laughs> yeah. I told you I was going to go controversial. Yeah. The very heart of the Skaven is that they all have seers they are given insights they will inherit it even mentioned this and i didn't actually expect it. i reread this two days ago when i was quickly boning up i was like they've even got the we shall inherit written in there their ascension um which has been prophesized its times before by the horned rat their entire species is based upon knowing what happens next another one that's very much laced upon prophecy is the lizard men but we've already given one to the lizard men and you kind of want to move on so yeah. 
Um, as much as I would like to dwell on the Lizardmen, I'd almost certainly move off. The next and clearly most obvious one is the Wood Elves. The Wood Elves and the Elves in general are often working towards prophecy, the um, influence of the gods, seeing the next step. And this is arguably a really good place for it because as you look around the rest of the other species, our dwarves, if we go over to Cathay, if we go over to Nippon, and none of them are really talking about beyond well, you can, the astromancers of Cathay, but they're not core to the uh, people. So yeah, it's like it, it. It would have been interesting to see how Cathay would play into it, as far as like the Celestial Dragon Emperor being like yeah. the big bad of Azir, or Yuan Bo being like yeah. this extremely and, powerful caster and embodiment of Azir. And I think that that's pretty cool, but in many respects, doesn't speak to the wind, although. Age of Sigmar almost changes the wind into Sigmar, and it's really weird. Um, it's a very different style of how that yeah. approach. Oh man, it, it, yeah, Azir, Azir is a weird win in AOS. Like, yeah, it's still, it's still Azir, but granted, it's more that Sigmar changes to fit Azir as opposed to Azir changing to fit Sigmar, which yeah, is why totally. he's a he's a lightning god now. Like, he's basically so, Thor. So ultimately, <laughs> I would be looking for something that represents seeing the future, and I would probably go for that ephemeral next step to your elves. So we're looking for the best elf seer. Well, so you're maybe looking at Nyeth over in the Wood Elves. You're maybe looking for um, somebody else that gets built up during the course of the campaign. Um, you're um, maybe looking at the god of... See, this is the one I find hardest because there's not a core candidate. Yeah, Azir, Azir is, as one might expect, the most difficult. Like, yeah. it's so ephemeral. Because I would um, want, I mean, you'd want to have someone who can fly. Ariel can fly, but she's not Azir. Um, you'd want to have something that's yeah, a representative. Some, people, some people are saying Marathi. Marathi's not really, Marathi is not really about seeing the future. Uh, yeah. It's just not her shtick. Marathi's about control. Marathi's about... Um, a whole host of shit. I love Marathi so much. <laughs> I see. I see a lot of people in chat saying like certain ogre characters. I I love the ogres, and there is there is a relationship between them and Azir, undoubtedly. Like so, they, you they... know what? I think we should move off because the next bunch no, are we'll, a lot we'll easier. Come, we'll come back. Okay, um, so you're first on Lord of Shadows. Lord of Sh Honestly, I felt Malekith was a pretty accurate pick for it, as far as what the wind represents a lot to me. Um, yeah, Aerolith would actually be kind of interesting. But um, but like I I do like the idea a lot of uh Malekith getting shadows in that he kind of has this Malekith is a very dark character who there are little bits and pieces scattered around him of trying to do the right thing of trying to be this force of law imposing on the world of a mastery of shadows in a lot of ways there now i there are people who i think are sneakier than him there are people who i think are better than at like illusions than him but he is like bellacor is like literally a lord of shadows but i don't i just refuse to use a chaos character um for any of the for any of the incarnates um i agree um, oh, I think you know what? Chaos. Yeah, some some people in chat brought up Britonia could be interesting for Azir. Yeah, I I was um I, I like the Fae Enchantress. Once I shut up, I was like, it's the Fae Enchantress, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I was like, I holy shit! I can't interrupt just to go Morgiana Le Fay. Fuck. Yeah, no, but I agree. Saying. The Fae Enchantress. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah the I'm 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 sold. It's the Fae Enchantress. <laughs> that's who it should be. We, we forgot um, about Britonia like Games Workshop. Yeah, that, that's it. Um, uh, interesting that you go for Malekith. I do not. Um, for me, the lore of shadows is the lore of lies, the lore of deceit, the lore of treachery, the lore of illusions, the lore of um, 
basically stabbing some fucker in the back. Okay, for the every single one of those, but illusions, I feel is very Malekith. Um, and uh, I don't think so. Malekith is um far more direct, um, and far more magic based in general. He's power, um, and he represents that power as well. He's puissant and he's strong. He's the fucking I don't know. Phoenix the king. Yeah, um, but at the same time, the guy tying, who's off the war tying the Phoenix King to treachery to me is not what I would prefer. For me, it would be uh, here we go. I'm going to go controversial again. Thankwall. <laughs> okay, I said no okay. treachery. <laughs> yeah, he's not chaos wizard. He's a he, the, the horned rat is separate from chaos. Fuck mm. you all. Um, it, it is. Um, <laughs> Thankwall. Treachery, backstabbing. He will, he will he never agree on that. <laughs> he he literally he's he's a wizard. Um, he mm. manifests shadows. He's constantly trying to trick others. A character like that for me is much better. Alithanar is a better option, but I don't want to have too many elves kicking around there. Alithanar is perfect, and then he even leads these shadow people. Um, so he's yeah. someone else who's uh, fighting from the shadows, and as an elf, has a strong connection to it. So Alithanar works for me really rather well. Um, if I look elsewhere, um. Um, I, I would probably suggest this is where um, I would have liked the end times to be bigger than it actually is. And I would probably drop in someone like the monkey king, someone who is utterly incapable. To that would have been interesting. Pinned down as one thing. Someone who's all about illusions and lying and tre treachery. Um, and then maybe over looking over to what potentially the Naga might end up being and how mm. they're slithering and slipping and dripping behind the scenes and being something else. But if I was going to choose from that large umbrella, it would be the monkey king. Interesting. That is very interesting. All right. Who's next? Next is Amethyst. Ooh, the wind of death. Well, it's super easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's Nagash. Um, and this is where they nailed it. It should be Nagash. Um, and it also suggests to a perversion of either the wind or Nagash, because the wind of death is more than Nagash alone. And I think there's a really interesting story there to tell about how much the wind influences the character and how much the character is influenced by the wind. Okay, there so just because people are asking, people are asking, what about Marathi or Neferata for shadows? <sighs> Yeah, I mean the Lamians. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, Lamians yeah. are all about that, but Neferata is a little bit too in your face, and she's not about tricking people into thinking she's something else. Too much. Compare that with, say, the Monkey King, who is constantly <laughs> appearing as something else and reappearing as something. I mean, uh, even if you look at how Cathay views them, they have four different versions, maybe five, of who the Monkey King is. That pretty much speaks to the lore of shadows to me, where Neferata um, works from the shadows, but I don't think is shadows. That I, I'd say that she'd definitely be in there as a potential. What about Marathi, though? Um, Marathi, no. No, 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 no. She's, she's using deceit all the time, but she's far too blunt and obvious with it sometimes. She is far too closely tied as well to the whole hedonistic side um, that I don't think mm -hmm. quite pops down for um, Marathi. Um, and I'm just going to pull up one comment there because I just saw it pop up. Um, the changeling, I would say, is chaos, so I would immediately push off. Um, Ladriel, obviously, all of the gods of the elves will attach to one of the winds with ease. Um, and I'm, I'm avoiding the gods in general um, because you kind of have to. Okay, so um, so yeah. moving on from death because we agreed on that. Uh, who's next on the color wheel? Actually, oh fire, fire. So oh, fire. Your turn to go first. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to go first on fire. <laughs> um, this is where I think we definitely pull out a dragon. Okay, and the reason that we pull out a dragon here is because dragon is closely associated with fire. 
Um, we're looking at stereotypes here. We're looking at things to manifest shit. And we're also looking for things that might be unexpected um, in that you might expect the Dragon Emperor to be the one that attracts um, one of the winds, but no. It's one of his sons. Um, and having oh, yeah. one of them. I mean, not, yeah, the Celestial Dragon Emperor. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's one of his sons. And uh, having. Yeah, Lee Dao, the Fire Dragon. Uh, having, yeah, yeah Lee, uh, the obvious choice here is Lee Dao. And I think in many respects manifests actually far more strongly than, for example, um, the Gold Wind is manifested by what's his face? Um, and, uh, Zalming, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, and I think uh, in many respects, sadly, a character that's not got quite as much depth as some of the others. Um, <laughs> but in some respects, that's to its advantage because you can then use it and show it through the course of how you would then paint this version of how Cathay falls and Grand Cathay becomes a, a horrible ruin like the rest of the world. Um, and having him manifest and be somebody over on that side presiding over the defense would be, I think, a marvelous step and a good way of showing how the dragon thing effectively breaks up because you have to destroy Cathay. You have mm -hmm. to actually destroy it, which means that you need to give an imbalance to that power network that they're used to. You've got to get the other dragons being upset, being disturbed by what's occurred, and providing a significant sink of power into him in the south, who is already jealous and annoyed about how the others have got advantages that he does not have. And now it's his time, for fuck's sake. He'll come forward. He's angry. He's actually, he's burning. Perfect, I think. Yeah, and actually would just kick that up to 11. Uh, oh, yeah. And it would be interesting because he could potentially be a very aggressive force to a lot of other nations around there. Like he wouldn't necessarily just be defending against chaos. He could also be a problem uh, for like end and stuff like that of nations that potentially could be allies against chaos. But now they've got the incarnate of fire coming down there, kicking down their door. Um, yeah, I know. I, I do. I do like that quite a bit. Uh, that's actually really interesting to me. Uh, and like fire, like to me, there's just really nothing in the West that really jumps out at me at all. Yeah, um, I, agree. I was th I was thinking about. Um, this one earlier and I was looking at all the various obvious characters and there's some like those who are already possessed by the wind to a degree um, but none of them are very compelling characters who are going to do much to progress the story where I think this one would really help break down Grand Cathay um, in a way that most people wouldn't expect because of the jealousies between the various dragon siblings and I think that would work really nicely yeah yeah and that could also tell a very interesting story about when you get that it count that when you get that council of incarnates moment of like like Li Dao being a embodiment of Akshi who has done some really horrible shit but also some really good shit and he's probably in a really weird place emotionally when he finally arrives yeah but uh I, you can you can make for a really fun and compelling story from that i think yep uh uh okay yeah who's next Laura yeah, Beast. I, yeah Laura I, just... Beast, I think it's girl and that's us done i think i think that's us done the full ring Pretty sure it is. I had a quick let me just go. Um, light gold. Da, 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 da. Yep, it's um, yep. Gur, it's Gur's next. Do you want to go first again? Um, yeah, Gur can there's a lot of places Gur can go. Of like, like with my no chaos rule, I count Beastman as chaos, so it can't go to Beastman, even though it would make sense for them. It really um, would, but there are a lot of bestial boys out there. Of like, personally, I would not ever have picked a green skin for the eight wins. Um, I would have done something very different with Gork and Mork. That would have been a lot of fun. Uh, I would have leaned very heavy into the prophecy of the uh, of like the the chosen of Mork and Gork, and I would have done it with like a big goblin and a big green skin. I would have gone with Grimgor and Skarsnik and had a lot of fun with it. Um, but for me, with Gur, honestly, I probably would have gone to the ogres. 
because I want an ogre rep, and yep. they they are the beasts. Mm-hmm. They are the devourers. They are the ultimate predators. They wiped out everything in their way. The whole thing for the end times is for them is supposed to be the fire mouth erupts and they're like, it's time to march. And they go on the march towards mm-hmm. the West because the East has been cut off and they're aggressive. They're hungry. And like, I can even see a whole thing of like the, the wind of Gur appears over them and it drives them into this aggressive state. And they start like the big ogres, like Greasis and Scrag and all them are fighting each other, trying to figure out who's the top dog, who's the most predatory, who is that alpha. And uh, there's a lot of different characters that could come out on top there. Like, I would probably go with Scrag or Greasis. Probably yeah, Scrag. Greasis is a little bit too, you know. Yeah, Greasis is a little too thinky. It's hilarious. Yeah, yes. that is. Yeah, um, Scrag is probably a better option. Um, uh, my biggest problem with Laura Beast and the Ogres is that there's not a clear candidate. And I think that that might actually be a better way of resolving it. Um, and I think you're absolutely spot on. It should be the Ogres. They are the closest in terms of the species that represents the wind. They are the closest in terms of the um, faction that you go, if I want the wind to go somewhere, it's that one. Again, I really agree that the orcs well, so like, what is what is the great mob but a fucking huge animal it's and the ultimate predator yeah exactly um and the the whole point of the ogres is that they hunt is that they are wild they go from they have a wanderlust built into them which you could argue is tied through to the gray wind or some other thing if you must but you don't need to because yeah. the good old girl will do the majority of it for you they're all covered in pelts they are pretty much the manifestation of of girl they even don't have higher intellect as it's understood by other species they don't really have an imagination yeah, per the whole thing. thing that like scrag is literally just someone that eats things and is butcher yeah. like he literally just tears people apart and eats them to cast magic like he is a horrifying bestial embodiment of a predator <laughs> that uses violence and hunger yeah. as a form of offense, which is nuts. Yeah, so um, I think that would be by far the most obvious choice. Um, and it's the one, I mean, Scrag is probably your best bet when I look at it. Um, I would potentially consider, I wouldn't want to do the Maw because the Maw is a god and you want to separate that and and make a clear distinction between the two, which means that Scrag's probably your best bet. Um, If you wanted to do something really left field and unexpected, this is where you do, and I'm going to go controversial given what I earlier said, a Beastman, and you have a Beastman that has Mm. not fallen to chaos. Um, So you have yourself a Beastman that uh, uh, basically turns sides, so we get a turncoat. Um, and that could be a really interesting way of bringing a very different conclave of uh, all of our incarnates together because we would have something very different sitting at the table. But not bringing the ogres to the table is stupid. It should yeah. be the ogres. Yeah, they deserve a seat. Yeah. yeah, they deserve a seat. So ogres, thanks. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, oh, no, you know what? We didn't talk about life. That's the one that my brain life. Is, we Yeah, we skipped it. Life. We skipped did we it. skip life? Did we really uh-huh. skip life? Yes, we did. That is a crime. Yeah, but I, apologize. I, I, I would have said Ariel. Uh, I don't like Alariel as much as Ariel. I understand why they went with Alariel, um, but I would have had it be Ariel. Right. So we, I agree completely because we don't have a representation of the elves yet on the table. Um, I think I might have skipped it because I thought the answer was so obvious and my brain just <laughs> yeah, went, yeah, yeah, to be fair, to be yeah. fair, it's, and it's I'm the most obvious behind me. 100% yeah. with you. There is an issue with Ariel. Um, for all, I'm still choosing her as the obvious choice, and that's that she's a goddess. Um, she is actually a god, and there's going to be yeah. incarnate goddesses that are around. And if I'm 
using my imposed laws of avoiding gods, because uh, at the second you go aerial, you then go, well, wild, that goes to Orion, doesn't <laughs> what it? If, what if we had her in a Lariel fuse, but because Ariel is more powerful and a god, she's the one that is the dominant personality? So uh, I think if you're going to go with that story, you could do that because then we then remove the god aspect, or alternatively, you just go to a Lariel and you give it to her. Um, you also have other potential um uh, answers from around the rest of the world but none of them are compelling as to what the species mean if we're looking for something that represents the lore of life it is the wood elves or the elves in general it should be aerial and no matter how i try to avoid it i full circle back where the elves the wood elves do not represent gur they just have gur as a part of their a part of who they are but they yeah. don't represent like, it same way Ariel is literally like bitch lives in the oak of ages and that is just the wind of life like yeah. as a thing <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I desperately wish to avoid it but i think i can't um you could go for other wood elf characters sitting on top i mean you can yeah. go darthu or one of the spirits that kick around darthu is like not very lifey like yeah, yeah he's no. free, but <laughs> like, you've, got, you've got to remember that the lore of life is also the lore of lustiness as well the lore of um having children the lore of moving the yeah, lore of Dur Dur is more like an angry motherfucker like he's yeah um so i think i would constantly move away from and constantly return to either alariel or ariel not the composite thanks very much yeah so that's interesting so really that's kind of funny the only wind i feel like i really disagree with andy on is shadow which is fitting <laughs> yeah i think that that works nicely um I definitely think I'd stick with the Monkey King for that one just because it brings in I, something that's vastly missing. I do like that idea. I do yeah. like that idea a lot. I just, like, I don't know. I have a hard time... No, I, if someone were to come to me, they'd be like, well, okay, but Malekith is going to have, like, the power of Assurance in him or whatever because yeah, he, like, totally. totally embraces the Phoenix King. Then I would be willing to cede that point. So, um, uh, I would add... Unless, or... unless we got a special character gnome. Like, if the Queen of the Gnomes came out... <laughs> <laughs> oh, might be different. Because they're like, clearly... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back. Um, but I'm also quite keen to move away from just looking at the West, if we possibly can. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as one last thing, though, it, it, we were looking at that as my general incarnate of winds i'd also be looking for the deities um particularly the elven deities for a variety of incar and lower reasons to be made manifest through their mark mortal representation well the, the gods so i would be happy for azuran to be working through malekith i would be happy for isha to be working through ariel i'd be happy for uh tal or your kurnos working through orion and i think that being able to bring that to the table as an end times thing would really speak to why the elves were separated as so special by the old ones themselves and there's definitely something in there that could be potentially used for a here's our end of the world battle that fucking rocks yeah and one of the things that i really like about that selection of incarnates that i think is worth pointing out is it allows the gods to have room to be important which the end times completely shit on because it was just like ah fuck fuck the gods they're not a fish people I mean, <laughs> to, be, to be fair they're very sneaky they're very sneaky <laughs> so sneaky that nobody knows about them but um like there's so many and there, there are hints of it that happen like they just they're not consistent with it like the green skins getting an incarnate was so weird it should have just been gork and mork it should be gork and mork um, like the, uh, yeah like the idea of grimgore like growing even bigger in stature as the power of gork is flooding through yeah. him and he's reaching a zenith and then scarsnake finally shows up and he's reached this like i think scarsnake should have won the whole fight for karagate peaks like scarsnake should have been the ultimate winner uh, I um, agree. Um, he's the in the, 
Yeah, like directly. I, yeah, and there are some parts that, like, once again, parts of the end times I like of that, like the Carrick Apex storyline for the most part, I think was pretty good. Of like Belagar was too stubborn to leave, like he just mm-hmm. couldn't let go, his pride wouldn't let him. That's very well written. That's very, that that's perfect. Like the like the Skaven being kind of this unstoppable tide that everyone's struggling to deal with. Yeah, sure, fine. Um, I think it kind of underplayed how scary the Greenskins would have actually been especially because Scarsnake was getting like everybody. And he also had like ogres joining him with like gold fag band eater and stuff. I think it underplayed how scary the green skins are. Cause the, cause that happened in thankful. So of course the Skaven were the main characters of the book. Um, and they literally just won every fight, uh, <laughs> like crazy. So, loosely, if you're speaking to the story of the green skins, the story of the green skins is the story of the inevitability of their growing war as it spreads across the globe and how it has been both stymied by variety of environmental issues on the Warhammer world that, that cuts the orcs down and stops them becoming proper 40k manifestations of the species um, and also impositions upon them by say for example the Chaos Dwarves creating the Black Orcs um, what we're really looking for is uh, some sort of culmination point for this when the wah that builds up explodes into something new and that's where really I think the prophecy stands out. They started with a decent plot line. The idea that there were going to that at least two of the greenskins, and arguably a representation of the little and the big wah, or Mork and Gork, sneaky and stabby or stabby and sneaky or whatever you want to look at it um, uh, brutal and cunning cunning and brutal, uh Whichever way you're doing it, they should have had their own thing. They didn't need someone else's thing. The more energy that the orcs build, the greenskins build up, that is all they need. They don't need another wind to come in and somehow pierce their orky bubble. That shouldn't happen. They should be manifesting. Yeah, that, own- that was a definitely an AOS thing. Like that was yeah. just, they wanted Gorkamorka. So. And they wanted Gorkamorka to manifest through that. And I think it was uh, an absolute, I'm going to go as far as saying a betrayal of what the Greenskins offered. And all of the way their unique magic worked and their unique culture worked was basically overwritten by an external imposition in a way that I think didn't develop and further make them more interesting. It made them in some respects less interesting and less unique. Which And it's such a shame because there were so many fucking cool things they could have done story-wise of like the Council of Incarnates happens and then Skarsnick shows shows up because he's cunning but brutal and he shows up and is like oi i'm here to treat with you gits and they're like who the fuck is this guy and like of course he doesn't bring grimgor because grimgor can't be trusted to calm down and he's like hey i convinced grimgor that that archaeon git says he's the best so we're gonna go kick his ass y'all stay the fuck out of our way and they just go run off and do greenskin things like i think the final battle between grimgor and archaeon is perfect yeah like like Archeon genuinely does not think the Greenskins are worthy of his time. And that costs him big time where he loses the Eye of Shirian. I think that's awesome. That's a really good moment for the Greenskins. I don't think that's just awesome. I think that it is an imperative um, and shouldn't have been tied to, for example, Gur. Um, yeah, no. Grimgor, Grimgor was already um, in a perfect narrative place to have everything that he needs and to properly surprise the Everchosen. If he is an incarnate of one of the Winds of Magic, He's an actual threat regardless. The idea that he doesn't have that and he is still a fucking threat. That's what the Greenskins represent. They are always the one that come in that everyone goes, uh, whatever. And they're the ones that come through like a tide. Remember what Grom the freaking Podge did? 
He yeah. did the impossible. He broke down magic of the elves that had been standing for thousands of years. And he did that because of the wild energy that came with them that destroyed the illusions that stood over the shifting sands and allowed him to arrive over in Ivress. Oh. No, Artorias, I, I didn't think about that. It actually would have been really funny for Scarsnake to send Warzag to talk to the incarnates because Warzag is the prophet who would. Because mm. the whole thing with Warzag, a lot of people in the end times, they even talk about it. They just yeah, don't Thanks, keep Hammond. talking about it. Yeah. I love that meme. Um, I love and hate it, but I do love it. But yet, like the whole thing of Warzag is that Warzag is the one drumming up support for the, the time has come. The prophets will be selected. There will be a, a fist of Gork and a hand of Mork. The time is yeah. nigh. And he's actually organizing the shamans to figure out who it is. And Warzag is the one it's established in the, the lore. Warzag's the one who chooses Skarsnik and Grimgork. He, he, he looks at them and he goes, it's these gits. I got to get them together. And then he just doesn't. And it's dumb. But um, anyway, uh, but yeah. And the other thing that leaves open is that I really like is we didn't pick a human because I think, I think humanity getting an incarnate ruins for me. It ruins what makes humanity special. And yeah, I agree Which is that humanity rises to the occasion and has their gods. Like granted, I think their gods would play a huge role. But, like, the thing to me that's always been so special about, like, Sigmar, Sigmar wasn't some super crazy powerful magic wizard dude. He's just the guy that yes. rose to the occasion of impossibility and somehow fucking won. That's that's the story you want to tell with humanity in general. And there was uh, lots of opportunities for doing that, which I think did not come to pass. And I agree that that would have made for a better story for them, again, in general. Um, I am... Um, like and I'll say, yeah. like, yeah, sure, Grimgore taking out the Eye of Shearing and stuff brings Archeon down a little bit. Like, I think the whole thing would have been Archeon loses a little, like, he wins a lot, but he loses a little piece of something every time he fights one of these big bads. And yeah. then you get that final battle where Archeon's grounded a little bit, and he finally faces off with Karl Franz, who's just a man with Galmaraz. Yeah. And, and that would have been incredible. And if we're destroying <laughs> the world um the end of the world is him taking galmaraz because it's warhammer yeah it's and, warhammer yeah that's it it's warhammer it should end <laughs> in warhammer um ultimately you want to have the core image of the entire game being part of the final fight um and the ultimate one is either Archeon is struck down but it doesn't matter but the end comes because the world is already lost a classic pyrrhic victory which i think is perfect for warhammer yeah um they fight to the very last man carl franz dies but he takes out archeon archeon dies killed by the warhammer and the warhammer itself spins off into eternity or whatever or alternatively if you really want to end the world you have um the realization that chaos is going to take it so the warhammer itself is somehow used to crack the world um ultimately you want the warhammer to be central to whatever the final fight is it has to be this is warhammer we're playing we're not playing Archeon the fantasy battles. We're playing Warhammer fantasy battles. So whatever that final fight is, it should be fucking epic. It should have that fucking Warhammer and it should have some form of Pyrrhic victory, some way of showing that Chaos lost but won. Some way of saying that all of humanity and all the other species, the mortal realms, um, didn't lose completely because they're setting up the next step. And I think that so much of the core imagery of what Warhammer was got absolutely forgotten and lost behind everything they were trying to set up for their next game. And they forgot that they were telling, at heart, a story. 
and they were telling a story that was supposed to be interesting for all of us to read. So when we read through it, by the end of it, we went, fucking hell, that was amazing. Holy shit balls! That was the most Warhammery Warhammer thing that ever Warhammered ever. I can't believe it's over. Oh my god! But it's never over because we can always go back to our old books. Yeah, and then we, and then the we just shit. and then they go, "Hey, we're starting the old world now." Yeah, totally. so right. so we're sad at the end, but we're also massively engaged because it was so cool, and that sets them up for ten years later building up the old world that sets up their age of sigmar but that isn't what happened i'm also gonna bring up godzilla there i apologize for taking the bit there end times fight i would have wanted would have been a nakai and gorok versus a throg and tyrox yeah. <laughs> monsters versus monsters <laughs> part two yeah totally i mean who doesn't want to have all the monsters kicking ass in monsters um, yeah, well, and you know, it would have been so much more interesting and poetic to have the final battle kind of be everybody versus chaos because that's that's what it's supposed to be, and it's supposed yeah. to show how unstoppable chaos is. Is yes. that even versus everybody, they're still they still win. Yeah, like, um, it, it should have been <clears throat> the the last. It should have been the last horrendous fight. There should have been one gigantic battle, the final battle, our moment where at the end of Avengers we have built up towards. Thanos arriving and Thanos sort of winning but losing because that's really what you want to occur and that's what should have happened but instead we got some sort of DCEU didn't quite manage to do yeah. it Martha! it just wasn't what we wanted yeah the stupidest thing is they could have pulled off Age of Sigmar too with the whole thing of like they could have ended it that way and then they just played as like chaos the gods in their insanity either a want the game to continue so they set things into motion to continue the game or B there is something they didn't expect. There's something about like, <laughs> there's something about Galmaraz and it flying off into space and something about it, you know, starts to wake up and like Sigmar does return in a sense, but like he didn't yeah. need to return literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think um, uh, really, if you're going to be setting up your new game, do you really want it to be the game of white dude with blue eyes and blonde hair? Is that the game you're really trying to start? It's not what would have, I think, made the best start for their next game anyway. But sure, that's what they went for. Um, what would have made a, a, a better final battle, so to speak, would have been that gigantic conglomeration of chaos, the overwhelming tide, coming against those few last pillars of light, the, the, the last remaining vestiges of the mortal realms going to their final fight. And you don't explain it. You fade to black. Yeah. Well, okay, the, the last heroes making their last yeah. stand. And why do you do that? It's because Warhammer, much like 40K, is eternal war. What they should have done is collapse it all down into effectively a Kalidor-esque style situation where the last people are left fighting off against whatever it is that lies, the eternity of chaos, and them holding in the middle that tiny little bubble. And that tiny little bubble then spans out to be something else. There's lots of ways you could end it, but that's <laughs> one of them. And then comes up behind Malekith and chops his head off. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, what you really want is to have that concept of unity that they are working together now against the enormity of what lies beyond. And potentially, if you really want to mess the story up, you have chaos fall upon itself. Well, So like at the very last moment, when all hope is lost, it's not, it's literally nothing more than the fact that they persevered that potentially allows them to survive because then chaos, incapable of being consistent, 
falls upon itself and everything is fighting everything at the end. There's lots of different shit you can do. That's just one example. But I fear that what they did go for was so bland, trite and 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 almost in places nonsensical and that you looked at, for example, the giant Auric Bastion, which we didn't even talk about. I really wish we had, because I could have had a good rant about fucking uh, We can always uh, talk about uh, you know what? Um, we can just do that in the Gelt episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because fucking hell, that Auric Bastion. He built a giant bastion that was so tall you couldn't even fly over it, no matter what you were, because it was so big. What the fuck is this thing? How did he build it? Oh, he did it because he was the Supreme Patriarch and magic was a bit bigger now. Well, why didn't the previous Supreme Patriarch do this during the last invasion of Chaos? Yeah, what the holy fuck sticks? <laughs> a giant wall that's so big you can't fly over it sounds pretty handy. Oh, Everyone's wow. sitting there like, what the fuck, Volans? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Why didn't you yes. do that? <laughs> Why didn't you do that, Volans, who could apparently channel all eight winds of magic? Let's just yeah. leave it to Gelt, who can only channel one, probably. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, once again, there are some cool parts. There are cool bits. Like one, Andy was saying, like with the, the chaos turning against itself, there was like some cool moments that they didn't really do much with, but like were fun of like... You know, Archeon's like, oh, the, the incarnates have come for me. I call upon the dark gods. Send me all your demons. Slanesh, like, hilariously literally sends his most inept demons. Because Slanesh doesn't want chaos to win. Slanesh loves civilization. He loves progress. He loves people being comfortable so that that's how she's able to get in. And to Slanesh, the end of everything sucks. That's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. um, um, Slanesh requires something that the other gods don't. And that Slanesh requires a certain level of indolence and time because you've got to have time to think, well, could I have something more? And if you're constantly fighting for survival, you never reach that point because you're too busy doing the next thing to live. It's why, for example, indolence is often um, associated very closely with um, upper classes who've got time on their hands. The time on the hands is suddenly they start experimenting with new things. It's why Slanesh is so strongly related to many of the nobility um, across the empire, for example. Um, so, yeah, I can see that being a particular yeah, well, issue. And for it's like, yeah, the Dark Gods are insane, but like at the end of the day, they don't want to win <laughs> like a, that that's another thing the end times is a little funky about is that like the dark gods are so unified which granted archaeon being archaeon but it's like so, uh, that, that would have been a cool thing is if the second archaeon died which granted they didn't kill him because they wanted him for age of sigmar but he should have died and the yeah. second he died the dark gods should have just immediately torn into each other yeah, totally. Um, I'll also add, um, given that we had ourselves the need, apparently, for the Auric Bastion, there was just better ways to build giant walls along the edge of Kislev. For example, Atlantis sinks, Ulthuin goes down, enormous tidal waves come out, Ice Court comes out and freezes the fucking tidal wave. Now we've got a giant fucking wall that makes sense and also speaks to the individual nations. Mother Kislev and her folk get together and freeze that giant wave, which ah, also, creates, also creates an enormous wall that allows them to hold off the hordes from the north. There's all manner of really cool stories you can tell with that. And Henrik, thank you very much. How about the old one? one saw what was coming and knew they would end so this is like this terrible and happen. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, okay, so I, I can't tell if that's a joke or not, but I do want to say this. I do want to say this of that, um, thanks, of that Age of Sigmar has genuinely done some fun things with the old ones. Much in, in the more recent lore in that it kind of plays with the idea that the old ones, a seeded a lot of planets, not just the Warhammer world, which is likely. 
and b that a lot of their artifacts uh in the here, the thing about Age of Sigmar that makes the end, end time so extra frustrating is that it relied very heavily initially upon its relationship to the end times, despite the fact, and like you get the feeling, oh, the end times has to happen the way it does for Age of Sigmar. No, it doesn't. Age no. of Sigmar happens literally millions, maybe billions of years after the end times. It just doesn't matter. And here's the thing. Age of Sigmar has an end times in it. Because the Age of Sigmar is a post-apocalyptic setting. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that. It has an Age of Chaos, where Chaos wins for 200 years before the Age of Sigmar starts. It is literally a post-apocalyptic setting. By definition, it is post-end times. It's just that Chaos doesn't fully wipe everything out before the good guys start turning it around. Oh, yeah, 500 years. Sorry. But, just want to uh, call out, I am Mustache Man. <laughs> <laughs> mustache Man. <laughs> Uh, i like how we have labels for names and he's like fuck that he's mustache man <laughs> but, uh, love it nice one raziel <laughs> uh yeah 500 years but like the the end times i i accept the idea that like sure it needs to happen to, for like the world to end so that this other setting happens but it does not need to directly correlate into what happens to aos because a magic and b it's a long 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 time later plus it could have been done with everything anyway i just want to pull up this comment because i think it's actually speaking to something we often forget about warhammer and i know it was a somewhat flippant aside but i think that there is something to say here uh -oh. warhammer at its heart was often jack can y'all still see and hear me um i can see you can you hear me yes can i be heard can i be seen uh yeah i can hear you yeah okay, okay. You're, good. you're good okay you're good, good. We, we good okay so warhammer was um often indeed frequently about satirizing particularly 40k um the real world and we could have had a really lovely thing about this great wall that was protecting the empire as well being built by the kislevites and their big ice magic there could have been a really nice little subtle piece of interplay in there that was speaking to modern politics as well and for all we often have people saying keep politics out of our games Fuck that. Yeah, Warhammer no. at its very heart is about satirizing and pricking at um, uh, pillars of extraordinary power of that ilk. And it would have been something I'd be very keen to mess around <laughs> with. Warhammer Fantasy is good at that. <laughs> okay, so, so can I still be heard? Just double checking. I've got a big here. Yes. No, yeah. yeah don't don't ignore him. We, we, okay, we, I'll ignore him. Uh, Smoke, you're speaking nonsense. You, you, got, you got one guide. Don't worry about it. <laughs> good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the end times um <laughs> we didn't even do the last books because we got so caught up in these ones yeah um no uh, we knew it was going to be a big topic we discussed it beforehand and we're like this is not going to work but we're going to give it a damn good go hey rogan all right so yeah, at this point fair. <laughs> i'm going to go ahead and pivot to comments that people submitted that's good uh, we're going to have to go through these very quickly though so expect short yeah. answers yeah and a lot of these we love you guys a lot of these questions are obscenely broad um uh, we're going to give you like <laughs> We're going to try and keep them very, very short. Um, so, oh, Kabanda. Oh, no, I'm not touching that. I'm going to get so angry. I've already had one rant this stream. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> they had Scarbrand, and they're like, no, let's pull in a 40K character as the ultimate big bad for corn. Because that fucking, makes sense. <laughs> fucking Christ. Love it. Uh, okay. Um, 
so scythe pedals uh your first question about Lilith not being the lady of the lake we talked about that a lot i i think we covered that uh we talked yeah, about that I and why i don't like that uh we talked about the bretonian civil war we talked about uh do i think grill knight kruber is makes sense even though it's a stretch in the end times yeah that's fine it's the end times shit happens it's weird shit happens i mean um really i think you'll find a lot of our answers concerning this are going to be if something big and weird has happened that's fine as long as they justify it and give a cool story because it's going to be cool because the end of war happened. Yeah. do i think the lady the leg would be desperate enough to call upon anyone remotely chivalrous and make them a grail knight yeah okay sure <laughs> as long as they're bretonian which he is technically by bloodline um, and he's earned the grail by that point. Like he's literally done. Yeah, gotta also remember is it a stretch? As well that, yes. That, but, and I don't think it is necessarily as much as a stretch as many would like it to believe because it is something that is bestowed by, let's be blunt, elves. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to get past all of the mystical ooh of it all, the elves just choose people that they think will further their goals. And that I know is a bit of a blunt, weird way of looking at it. But ultimately, that does mean that you can have some pretty weird characters when you state that out clearly for the end times hey Hammond, um andy from one to haggis how accurate is shrek's oh fuck off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shrek's accent is indeed somewhat of a standing meme around here it's not good but the worst <laughs> part of it is that it's close to good <laughs> That makes it so, way worse than this. So it, if, if anything, it makes it worse because you're like, oh, it's grating, it's close, but oh shit. Yeah. Uh, what would we have done with Jill and Aberash's team up army? What would they have done to try and save the world? Uh, epic last second charge to help at the big final battle, I guess. Eh. Yeah, they'd have come to the final battle, and I think that's one thing that was particularly missing for me, and that was a very clear final battle. Um, it, it should have been there. A massive yeah, the, one. The final battle of Mindheim was weird. It was um, just not good. Chaos was super overwhelming. There was no need to further nerf the good guys by like making them randomly appear in the city. It was very odd. The, the final battle was mince. Um, it needed to be a better, big, massive one that pretty much encapsulated everything that was Warhammer. Um, and everybody should have been there. Everybody. <laughs> and they should have had gods walking the earth. They should have had massive dragons. They should have had dragon ogres the size of fucking mountains. They should have had it should have been, it should have made the last battle in uh good old Marvel's cinematic nonsense look like pipsqueak nonsense in return. It should have been huge. Yeah. Uh how do new fan enchantresses come about? Since Morgiana died, shouldn't there have been a new one? <laughs> yeah. Or shouldn't she have just returned? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> wish, wish we knew why she didn't. Yeah, um, uh, depending upon which version of Morgiana Le Fay you go with, she should have just come back, or alternatively, she was an elf in the first place. Yeah, like you, you figured the lady would have picked a new one uh, at the very minimum, but yeah, no, but hey, yeah, for Tony, it didn't matter. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that ultimately, yes, I think that's the correct reason they'd move past those story beats. Bretonia was now in the past. <laughs> Do I think characters returning in Age of Sigmar from last stands like Kugoth and Festus is good or bad? Uh, I think that Kugoth never coming back in Age of Sigmar is a little weird, but it does make Lewin's last battle with him a lot more important and epic that he like somehow permakilled him, which like, hey, cool, awesome. Festus coming back is really weird because he doesn't do anything in Age of Sigmar. Like he's there, but he doesn't really do a lot. And yeah. he didn't manage to ascend before he died. So he should have just stayed dead. I have no idea why they brought him back. I mean, in some respects, it feels just like Age of Sigmar is going, oh, shit, let's just keep on um, pulling on the oh, sorry. nostalgia. Sorry, he has a mini. That's why they brought him back. 
narratively, he should not have come back. Um, and it's that right guy says we all do a part two to cover topics at the end times. Y'all didn't get a chance to love these talks with y'all. Keep it up. Maybe I think the answer to that is probably yes, but we'll probably have a stricter focus um, because this one, as we've noted, is somewhat sprawling. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll only be about books four and five since we didn't get to them. Yeah, quite. Um, uh, any other Bretonni thoughts, ideas we would have liked? Uh, we already covered that. Uh, do I think? Do we think Arcan was handled? How do we think Arkan was handled in the end times? I'd like to add one question about the Bretonians. I really wish that they'd learned the nature of how the Wood Elves were manipulating them and they'd used that as a part of showing how the Order fell apart um, they, as they just did they, not like it. They do do that in book five. Like, I mean, do they? I, technically, I mean, Jared finds out and then him and all the Bretonians leave. They don't pin. All of the mistakes of the past are forgotten and they are brought together. It shouldn't have happened at the final battle. It should have happened like book two. Britonia yeah. leaves and everyone's left going, fuck. And then come the final one, in comes that giant lance of Britonians in the final battle. That would have been fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, how, uh, how do we feel that Arkham was handled? I thought he was all right. Like he's not, he's not like he's fairly consistent to his thing yeah. of like, he thinks he's going to be killing the gods. Unfortunately for him, it doesn't work that way. But like, and he's he's much more powerful than his previous iterations. Yep. But Warhammer's also had a lot of power creep over the years, so that was fine. Yeah, I have no issues either. I think Archeon was handled well. Um, uh, I think that all the stories around it weren't, um, but I think Archeon fulfilled the role he should have fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, how do we think Chaos in general was handled? Is eh, whatever is fine. I it's, think there should have been more division come the end. Uh, yeah. There should have been yeah, more yeah, 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 that, and yeah. more division. Uh, yeah, the, closer got the closer they got to victory, the closer that someone else should have tried to claim that victory. So the closer that Korn should have started beating down the others so that they could claim it was theirs or whatever. The closer they got to reaching the point where they didn't need to ally anymore, the more they shouldn't have allied. And that would have been a lovely way to show the dissolution of chaos. Yeah, they also did this weird thing where like each god went a little bit into ascension and then got his ass kicked so he was no longer powerful until like the end. And it was really weird. And they kind of had like Korn as the final big bad. That was very unnecessary. And nope. Odd. Uh, they would not, the gods would not have played like that. Um, how do we think the dwarves were handled? I think the dwarves were handled fine, okay, up until the Council of Incarnates. Then they were yeah. absolute horseshit and they were garbage. Um, like, yeah. like the, the defending of the holds and like the whole epic battles and a lot of the thankful stuff that was all fine. Um, even though I do think the Skaven very suddenly started obliterating the dwarf holds with kind of not a lot of great explanation. Like, it doesn't make sense how there's more magic and yet the dwarves got weaker. Um, like, their runes should have gotten stronger and a lot of the old protection should have reactivated, but yeah. they didn't, and it was weird. I think the biggest issue with the dwarves, <clears throat> they didn't have enough written about them to explain what the fuck was going on. And I found for the dwarves, they were broadly handled well, but that's because they're such a strong stereotype. Um, and that it's really easy to just go, oh, they acted in a stereotypical way. Ha, ha, ha. They're almost a joke in terms of how they're written. Um, and that meant that a lot of how they were written came across somewhat as the joke in the end. And they were fine. It would be nice to have a little bit more nuance in there and a bit of a greater understanding of how the characters are different. Beyond just, he's too stubborn to do the job. He's too stubborn not to see this job through. That's it. Yeah, I will say, though, uh, the dwarves not getting any of their actual special characters for the entire last book is horseshit. I hated it. It's bullshit. It's just bullshit. The dwarves should have been there. The dwarves of all should have been there in a fucking 
big massive yeah the fact that they like created a new character who's just a random rune lord from uh zuffbar i think very strange um why didn't Alithanar have a vengeance off with Gromberdol against Malekith? I, oh, uh, geez. Malekith got off super easy, considering that Alithanar tries to kill him, and then when he fails, he just gives up. <laughs> if, you, if you want to know what I think about what should have happened with Malekith and Gromberdol, go, go watch the Malekith yeah. stream, because we <clears> go into some depth there, and I think that that would have been a far better conclusion. Yeah, the way they writ how Alithanar and Gromberdol settled their debt with Malekith was terrible. Uh, it was it written was very terrible. poorly. I actually, I actually hate it. Um, what would we do differently? I think we talked a lot about that. Um, <laughs> question for Andy: How do you think Balthazar Gelt was handled during the end times, and why do you oh, hate him so much? Wonderfully. I will say, <laughs> yeah, I will say personally, I do. I mean, enjoy... he's proper shit on. In fact, I actually really enjoy many of the character developments and the spiral that Gelt gets himself into. The stupid shit that he does, though, and this massive overpower that he gets is a bit weird. But yeah. Yeah, I think that Gelt has got quite a few really nice story beats through the. Course I, of the I very much enjoyed Gelt's fall to necromancy and then his later yeah. redemption. It's a fun story. It's a fun story, and I think that's something that um, added some depth. Do I think that they could have better handled other aspects of it? Oh, hell yes! But I do like aspects of it. Random question, what do you think of Gregor Martark? The the, the the new the Supreme Patriarch of Beasts that takes over? Literally nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah it does almost nothing for me. When I, was I, like, love, yeah, I love that Thyrus Gorman does not exist in the end times. <laughs> I was I was bewildered they've got a character that's but been he's, established. he's still around guys why is yeah, he not uh, <laughs> not only established since 1990 something or another and very well ingrained into the setting but popped up in multiple places like the war game for example not the war game pardon me online um, role play game where they even had a really nice piece of art the first place that Finubar, for example got a proper piece of art for himself oh yeah yeah um, warmer online and- Oh, yeah, Warhammer like, Online. And then just in, ditching it. So, Why is he yeah. not? Anyway, um, if Warhammer the Old World were to progress into this point mm-hmm. in the timeline, that's a huge if. Uh, do I think they would go with a new Storm of Chaos or a new... They would never redo the Storm of Chaos. Uh, listen, a lot of guy, a lot of folks are think the Storm of Chaos is fun. It has some cute moments, but it was a massive failure. Um, mm-hmm. Like, Games Workshop wanted to tell a story and they let the community be a part of it and it fucked up their story and they were too embarrassed to like do anything so they just they just it, it was a mess the stormcast yeah, was not good. Chaos was not ideal and yeah. it made a lot of mistakes um and the story writing to try and resolve those mistakes was not always the best yeah Let's like I, I understand a lot of people like it because chaos loses but it like it's an end times but chaos loses but it's 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 a very weird campaign i mean was it any surprise that they're going to lose take all the armies of warhammer and how many of them do you think are being played by just chaos alone i mean they, they were massively outnumbered just with the player base yeah plus the sort of chaos, it's literally just the fucking as of our cool like all over again just just with like more people involved it, like just tell a different story you know what if you want to do that something like that go talk about one of the other like 10 ever chosens go do their story um that would have been fun it would have been really nice to try and do a different ever chosen and show yeah. how that it, yeah, guys were yeah shot themselves in the foot trying to go forward they should have gone backwards with the story because there's plenty they haven't filled out uh anyway uh but i would love for them to do a horus heresy with the end times where they take mm-hmm. their time over many many years to tell a good story yeah um, there's a fine story to tell in there, and all of the nonsense that the End Times books may offer have got kernels of great story all the way through it. Uh, what happened to, to Leia? They got eaten by the Skaven. 
very quickly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which is mental. <laughs> yeah, I know the land of the, the land of mercenaries that has like some of the most well-funded armies in the world died instantly. Yeah, pretty plus, much wiped out. If no, the Saven existed and would have been ready for it. Yeah, but, yeah, no, they died. No, yeah, mental. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what happened to Mathlan? Uh, yeah, no, he. Uh, yeah, he reveals himself on a black arc. Uh, after he gets captured, and he's like, "Fuck you guys!" Calls a tsunami and he dies. Uh, he yeah. like functionally kind of kills himself. It's weird. Um, really we- odd. Uh, oh, okay. This is uh, so. Do we consider extra material by another author to be canon or not? So, okay, what they're asking about is uh, one of the authors, uh, I think it was Josh Reynolds, uh, had he had his own like private website, like a blog site, where he allowed a lot of people to ask him questions about the end times. And he said, This is what I would have done. And because the internet is the internet and it happened at the time that it did, a lot of these questions through kind of pop culture have become people think they're canon. Um, and so accept right. them as canon. So- um, the canon of work that Games Workshop produces does not include anything that Games Workshop did not commission. So it is anything that they have printed. If you use the word correctly, it's the canon of work. That's everything that they have produced. So if it's sitting on a website or a blog, it doesn't count. That informs your interpretations and perhaps informs your views as to what the overall material represents. But it is not from Games Workshop. It is not canon. I would make it also relatively clear that every computer game, every... uh, Every small aside that comes from various licenses, including the current roleplay game, has not directly come from Games Workshop, so is not explicitly part of the canon of Games Workshop's Warhammer work, which is um, deeply amusing. If it was printed by Games Workshop, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition, for example, or Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 1st Edition, that is a part of Games Workshop's canon of Warhammer work. Yeah, uh, but in answer to your question, uh, Games Workshop also has the official stance that whatever you want to be canon is canon. So, you know, yeah, do pretty much. Your uh, <laughs> game, do what you want with it. They don't want to curate it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it takes people like us to whine about it for hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andy, since you wrote Rum of the Ice Queen, how would you have handled yeah. Kislev for the end times? Obviously, you'd have to end in victory for Archeon, but what would be an end so bright eternity will remember us moment? Okay, so uh, for example, I would have tied it through to the Ambassador Chronicles where they had the big gold teeth of Ursin being such a central component um, towards defeating the Chaos Hordes that were coming in during the second book of that. I would have had the sinking of Ulthuin be building a big, huge, giant wall of ice, which the Teeth of Arson would have been responsible for holding back in place. We would have had probably a big, massive fight to represent the fall of Kislev and the fall of Prague in the past. You would want those to fall because symbolically they're interesting for Warhammer and the previous editions of the game focus so much on those and it shows how this fight is more important than the next fight um, in that the current fight, in that Kislev has to fall, which means that the Kislevites then need to withdraw into the empire and draw in as part of their force and we have ourselves some massive conflicts between the colleges of magic and the ice witches and exactly where they sit there have been some fun interplays with all of that and i wouldn't have had them be the big fall i'd have had them be a constant fallback until the final fight but i would have definitely had ice the ice witches the hags do some shit 
um, that stymied and held back chaos, allowing people to do some shit later. So our conclave of light, our various incarnates, whatever we do, that uh, that can come to pass because Kislev held them back for that extra month, that extra year, or whatever it takes for the campaigning seasons. But I most certainly would have had that. I would almost so as one last point, almost certainly have had um, because I've always liked the idea the bringing about of Evernacht, which is a concept for the cult of Ulrich, where they believed that the entire world would fall into winter and that the cult of Ulrich would rise. Um, and I would have had something uh, that caused effectively uh, a nuclear winter of some site. Well, to be fair, the Skaven did blow up the moon, so that would do uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> do? Something, something that causes the entire planet to be covered in hell and for everything to freeze up. And that would bring about a time of the ice witch, which I think would have been super fun and exciting. Yeah, I would have, I would have milked the shit out of Cat. Okay, I'm not gonna say that. Uh, I would have used. <laughs> Katarin as a character a lot, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's um, such a fascinating one. But Evernacht is, as a concept, super fun, particularly because it freezes the gates, massively freezes them. It gives you just that little bit of extra more time. And then the forces of chaos marching through the ice and eventually melting it, warping everything, the ice becoming something else. There's some great stories, ambushes, fire incarnate, doing something crazy up there. You could have had a really fun thing there. Plus, of course... The Lizardmen could have been involved. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeti, uh, we already talked about what we would have done probably in the East of, like, uh, probably Lee Dao going a little crazy, but you probably would have had, like, you know, chaos would have been invading over there, too. Something would have happened to, like, burst open the Great Bastion, and mm. the Celestial Dragon Emperor would have pulled off whatever the fuck his plan is, which probably would have failed. Um, or maybe succeeded. No, I think uh, it should have succeeded. His ultimate plan would probably be flee the world. Yeah, yeah, pull a um, lizardman. Yeah, yeah, pull a lizardman, and I think that would have been a lovely way to set up um, the Cathayans as a faction for Age of Sigmar. Um, when you find out that he has been manipulating Grand Cathay for the entire length of time for one purpose only to get away, that would have been the ultimate betrayal and super fun too. Yeah, plus I wouldn't have put it past him to abandon his children. Um, wouldn't wouldn't it be awesome if all of Talia's all in the human pirates did the last stand against Skaven and Sartos? Oh yeah, yeah, that could have been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, totally could have. And um, uh, the uh, war at sea aspect was completely lost. Uh, what happened to the Famir during the end times? Do you think they're in the mortal realms? Uh, they did not get brought up because Games Workshop completely ignored all of their supplementary material from Forge World and everything because they were in a rush to end things, so they didn't yep. worry about it. And do I think they're in the mortal realms? Probably. Um, they they were there for a while. They were, Funny enough, they actually lost their chaos alignment and they got relabeled as a destruction race. Um, so they were no longer chaos aligned in Age of Sigmar. Uh, since then, they've kind of vanished. Um, they might come back at some point. We have no idea. Um, they're quite popular thanks to the Total War game now, mm, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, and they've been growing more popular with time. Like they've reappeared in the role play game, and like there's a whole thing now with Moon of Men. Like they have a big special character now, and they have a much more interesting story. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. Uh, do you think? Uh, would you keep Nagash important to the end times? Yeah, you have to have yeah. Nagash. You Definitely. have to have Nagash. Nagash is a core Warhammer character. Um, I wouldn't have done what they did with the unknown. Um, I wouldn't have handled Drakenfels the way they handled it, but because it just made Drakenfels a sub a, a supernumerary character, which made no sense. But yes, definite from Nagash. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like Drakenfels probably should have had more of like kind of a fun cameo as opposed to being a weirdly major character who they can't say his name. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was handled super weird, and they also made him super rubbish in comparison to the the way the character had been built and developed. Yeah, he was nothing like actual Dragonfell. Like, literal nothing, nothing a, like. 
He's a bodiless entity that can possess bodies and is implied he can use necromancy, but he doesn't need to. Because he's he, not Drakenfels. He's just he, some spirit they made. Yeah, he's weird. Um, yeah. Uh, Cetra kills everyone. Yay, nay. Well, definitely nay. I, I, I probably would have had Cetra go down the same way. Like, I yeah. would probably not have changed the Cetra. I just wouldn't have brought him back. I would have, I would have brought him back. I, 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 yeah. I don't think that was handled badly. I think that was handled well. Yeah, I would have had Nagash kill Cetra at the end. Like, yep. I think that is the appropriate story for him. Uh, because Agreed. the idea is that he had the option to let go of his pride and fight a greater evil. And he said, no, fuck that. Fuck you. And yeah. that's perfect, etc. Perfect. Agreed. Um, uh, okay, we're going to skip that one because that's just that's too big a question. Um, hmm. <laughs> will there ever be it. an update for the end times involving other races? Uh, I think there will be eventually. Um, Age of Sigmar kind of does that from time to time. They like to touch on things that didn't happen in the end times or retcon things to make them genuinely better most of the time. Most of the time when Age of Sigmar touches on the end times, it improves it because they're, someone actually is thinking about it and taking their time with it. Um, so anyway, uh, do you think we'll see a more in-depth exploration of... Oh, we already answered that. Uh, uh what oh god this question makes me angry what would morger the shadow gave have done the end times he should have been really fucking important is what she should anything have like <laughs> he is literally one of the scariest most powerful entities in the world he is a he is a god of mutation that has somehow managed to get a physical form into the universe he's insane he should have destroyed athel lauren or at least had a really big final battle there. The fact that he doesn't show up at all fucking infuriates me. Yeah, it's, it's just a wasted opportunity, really. A character that it suggests to me they just didn't really remember or yeah. know about. If you so go back, a lot of people don't realize in 6th edition, Morger is the big bad for the Beastmen. Mm -hmm. In 7th edition, I don't know why they kind of like put him in the back a little bit, but in 6th edition... He is literally the main character. Kazrak is not nearly as big as Morgur is. Yeah, Kazrak's just a beastman in the yeah, Dragonfall. Yeah, like a lot of people see Kazrak as the big bad. He's not. Kazrak is literally the most minor beastman character. Yeah, he's uh, not he's the cool. biggest character in the known world. He's yeah, just no. he's just he's just a successful local warlord. The most powerful beastmen in existence are Malagor the Dark Omen and Morgur. And Morgur is literally a god. Like he is on par with Ariel and Orion. He is insane. It takes yeah. armies to stop him. Um, what are our thoughts on how Gotrek and Felix was handled in the end times? That's complicated. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a complicated we'll, we'll, one. We'll do a Gotrek and Felix episode one yeah, day. That's, that, that's potentially a whole stream. Uh, Sotek said, wait, what? Uh, oh, 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 God. Uh, okay, so I'm going to break this question down I'm to... Intrigued. Uh, okay, so uh, this question basically boils down to how do we feel about all the prophecies? that were not fulfilled so like for instance in the liber chaotica there's a prophecy that said that when the world ends corn would go around killing eight animals and at each one different things would happen can we elaborate on those prophecies and other prophecies related to the end times the answer is none of them played a role because games workshop didn't care about them like kraken rock doesn't wake up and reappear well h of sigmar says he does because h of sigmar actually cares but uh warhammer fantasy doesn't bring back kraken rock it doesn't bring the the prophecy of Malekith being killed by a male sorcerer. It doesn't bring the yeah. prophecy of Corn killing the eight beasts, and each beast that he kills is kind of equivalent to like one of the trumpets being blown in Armageddon, where like an effect yeah. happens. They ignore all that shit because they didn't have time and they were rushed. Yeah, I, I think uh, a mixture of ignorance and a lack of care played a large part of that, and um, it's a shame. 
uh, when Durthu gains the power of the ancients or er, gives mm -hmm. the merged the power to Ariel slash Alariel, and she's also the incarnate of life, how far is she from power level of pre-cataclysm Aisha? Honestly, when Durthu takes all the combined power of Athel Lauren, all the combined spirits, and he injects that into the combined of all of Aisha, who is also now the incarnate of life, I'd say she... The the game just the lore doesn't do it right, but I would say she'd probably be a lot stronger. To be frank, that is an that's an obscene level of power. Yeah, um, it's it's not small. Um, and the biggest issue in trying to answer a question like that is that the established lore really deals badly with what the gods are and are not right up to the end times where certain gods are deemed to be exceedingly important and others are merely forgotten and waysided even though they are potentially more useful for the outcome so the answer to that is we don't really know um yeah. uh, and and it could be less it could be more yeah she she would certainly have much more impact on the physical world probably than i should oh, ever hell yes um what do we think? Uh, okay, uh, we'll skip that. We already talked about Aberash. He was a huge letdown because they should have done more with him. Like, dude's really important. They just ignored his ass. Yep, um, how stupid was the fact that they let Vlad die in Altdorf? Oh, oh eh, so, okay. The, the, the death where Vlad dies because he tries to drink the blood of one of the Glotkin and it infects him with the disease is kind of hilarious. To be, to be fair, that happens differently in the big book. In the novel, I think, he bites and like drinks the blood of one of the Nurgle guys. Vlad would not have done that. Vlad would never have done that. He's not that stupid. <laughs> and it struck me as some dumb shit. Now, I, I mean, it's really seriously. Yeah, he's not I could, an idiot. I could be mistaken, but I believe in the big book, he doesn't drink his blood, but he stabs him with his sword, which as a magical property absorbs blood and feeds that essence to Vlad. And that's how he gets infected, which is a little more reasonable because it was unexpected. Cause like he stabs a lot of Nurgle guys and never hurts him, but the yeah. Glocking is just that level of disease, but it's still weird. It's, like it's, it's kind of weak. Yeah. I mean, Vlad's very smart. He wouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just weak. Um, the problem with powers like that is they tend to run at the speed of plot. Um, you can fight Nurgle all day and never die as a, as a hero as long as you've got a name until the day you decide that today's the day you'll die. And suddenly, because of whatever reason they conjure, you catch something and die. It's just weak. It's not a good way to kill your characters because it invalidates all their previous choices, which were sensible and lead up to that point where suddenly it's insensible and doesn't make sense. So I personally don't like it. Yeah, uh, I see people asking about End in the End Times. We actually learned that End is wiped out by a, uh, I believe, Dakala the Denied teams up with Arbal the Undefeated, and they wipe out End, supposedly. Mm, um, which, that. which one was that one in? Uh, it is a that. very, it's literally a single offhand mission yeah, in uh, one of the novels. It, it's when Archeon's talking to all of his generals who he has summoned to Middenheim. Um, it's very, very brief. Yeah. Um, but, I haven't read that for like 10 years, so no wonder I didn't remember it. <laughs> uh, let's see. But yeah, I do agree. I actually like the way Vlad ultimately dies uh, trying to save Isabella. Um, that, to me, the felt only like, way he's allowed to die. Yeah, that was a fitting death for him. Now, the fact that he saved Isabella and that literally didn't go anywhere uh, was weird. Um, because Isabella basically comes back like a newborn babe for some reason. In my opinion, she should have come back and been fucking furious um, and let her just go crazy and be awesome until yeah. she dies um yeah. 
Who was the most powerful incarnate in the end times and why? Uh, in the canon version, Nagash is by far the strongest. Like Nagash. it goes out of its way to say Nagash is like the Council of Incarnates, like the the six of them that are together. Nagash is implied to be as strong as all six of them until Sigmar gets his hammer. When Sigmar gets the hammer, debatably he becomes the strongest because Sigmar. But uh, Nagash is the strongest. Hmm. Uh, what happened to Drycha? Uh, long story short, Drycha goes fucking crazy and betrays the Wood Elves and thinks that if she kills all the Elves, Athalorn will go back to the way it used to be because she's insane, which, like, all right, fine. She teams up with Bellicor to purify the Forest of Elves. And then in the midst of the fighting, I don't remember exactly what happens, but something happens where her insanity goes away for just a moment because she, she's kicking the shit out of Malekith, which she honestly shouldn't have been. I mean, Drycha is strong, but at this point, he's the Incarnate of Shadows. He should have easily won that fight. Easily. But well, uh, Drycha is whooping his ass. And uh, she gets cured of her madness for a second. And that second, Malekith chops her head off. Uh, because he's like, holy shit. And uh, kills her. Which like, yeah. all right, waste of a character. Sure. Um, like, I'm I'm honestly fine with Drycha betraying the Wood Elves. Um, I think working with Bellacor was a little too far. Yeah, the betrayal aspect is a core component of Chaos taking over the world, and I'm fine with all of that. It's when you start working directly with Chaos without having an established step-by-step -step process that's taken you there that it just doesn't make sense. Working directly with Bellacor without any real justification, bullshit. Yeah, like Drycha... Like what they should have done is like Drycha being the one responsible for assassinating or at least wounding her enough that she has to fuse with Alariel. Ariel, that would have been the way to do Drycha. Uh yeah, is her trying to take cool. down Ariel. Yeah. Um uh blah, blah, blah. at what moment did we realize the end time had jumped the shark and wasn't gonna nail the landing? Oh, that's a toughie. Um for me, it was Oh, fuck, man. Right, so I'm going through the Nagash book because it was book one for me. I'm just not sure where it jumped the shark. Jump the shark is a very specific moment. <laughs> I, know, I know what it is for me. For me, the moment when the end times hit the point where I was so furious that they did what they did that I just, I was like, I hate everything about this was actually in book five. Um, oh, wow, it, you're much later than me. Well, yeah, well, it wasn't good writing and I hated a lot what they were doing, but then they did something that fucked everything they had just written which is that techless resurrects Tyrion uh using the oak of ages and puts the wind of light into him to basically re replace i guess the curse of cain and Ulrich, Ulrich's flame so Tyrion or techless oh, massacred billions of people to resurrect his brother as the incarnate of light and i said what the fuck because it completely ruined the entire point of the Kane book. The whole point of Kane is that Tyrion loses is finally loses himself to the curse of Kane, which like fine that makes sense for his character, and he dies, and Kane dies with him. The second you bring Tyrion back, you completely fucked up that entire storyline. I don't, Agreed. I don't care. I don't care that he's like, oh, I'm gonna fill him with all this new stuff. Bullshit. The second he came back, you you brought Kane back. As far as I'm concerned. That ruined the entire point of the Kane storyline, which I didn't like already, but at least it was a storyline, and that instantly fucked that entire story. Horrible so, decision. Um, I, I, I can only agree, but really, almost all of that book for me was one gigantic shark that they were trying <laughs> to jump over. Um, it's basically Jaws made manifest, and you're a tiny little ant attempting to jump over it.
Um, I think actually for me, uh, it's something we discussed earlier in the stream. And it's before the storm, the, the storm of chaos. It's before the end times even becomes a thing, um, and we're looking at what uh, Gelt does to hold back Sylvania. And you just look at it and you realize that they have no idea about the character that they're discussing. They have no idea about the capacity of the mm. Supreme Patriarch, about how the winds of magic work, about what would be required to build something that could hold back something which clearly Manfred at this point is ascendant. And what it would require to hold Sharks all of that all back. the way down, <laughs> and how how much faith is involved with this, and the conflated faith with magic, which with humans is not really the case. It's a much deeper, more convoluted affair than that. But they just walked over that like it was nothing, and said, "We'll just wrap it up with a spell and turn it into one gigantic shield of faith, which has been built by a wizard." It basically. It basically undermined what had been the core message of Warhammer Faith for almost 30 years, the division between magic and faith. And it just, it didn't address it. It walked over. And I went, fuck that. Stupid idea. And yep. when it became quite clear that that was nothing more than the first step towards the greater overall end, I had already reached the point where I was like, I don't think they know what they're doing. Yeah, and there there are so many moments I could point to. That that's the one that jumps to my mind is the most egregious yeah. because it literally is the end time stabbing itself in the back. Um, but like there are a lot of small moments that made me genuinely very upset. Um, that I'm not going to bother with right now. Uh, you can catch me yes, on. We'll one just of my, get upset again. You, you, yeah, you can come to one of my Twitch streams when I'm playing Total War Warhammer and ask me about it. I will be happy to bitch about it, but we don't have time right here right now. Um. When the Black Pyramid was raised from the ground, it became a floating citadel slash <laughs> yeah, Was that only possible due to the vortex being unbound, kind of like how the dwarf goal? Uh, yeah, functionally, you could argue that it's just, if you have enough magic, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, um, Warhammer has always enjoyed its big, huge, floaty things, whether it was all the way back in 3rd edition with its flying ships um, that were just floating their way. We got a lot of flying pyramids in the end times. And, and it, was a, it was a theme. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that they love their necrons and replacing the um, Warhammer imagery with 40k imagery. We'll get a flying pyramid that came straight out of a movie was an almost expected outcome. Um, I, I don't think it was tied necessarily to the Winds of Magic collapsing um, or the Vortex, pardon me, collapsing. It's just a thing what they were going to do. Yeah. That being said, uh, I totally forgive the flying Black Pyramid of Nagash because the artwork for it was so fucking yeah. beautiful. And in I'm, Total War Warhammer, it's a kick-ass map. So I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with it as well. Um, I, I have a lot of criticisms that I think this stream may have made clear, but flying pyramid, black or no, yeah, it's like not one of them. It's all right. <laughs> it's the um, end time. Shit happens. What happened to the green and pink tide led, led by Grimgore? Uh, oh, okay. So the answer to this is going to make you laugh because of how stupid it is. So when tech, so yeah, Grimgore is leading an unstoppable army, right? It kills everything in the mountains of Morn, wipes out the Chaos Dwarves, wipes out Grand Cathay. He's unstoppable. He's literally unstoppable. Chaos should not be a big deal for him. The the problem apparently, <laughs> so stupid. So when Teclis performs the ritual by killing Lilaith to teleport everybody to Middenheim, Part of the ritual grabs Grimgore, right, and teleports him too, even though he's way off in the east because he's an incarnate. So he's he's got to show up. This is actually where Grimgore enters the story, by the way. We do not see Grimgore at all, ever, 
until and like even although he is he is happily destroying three quarters of the Warhammer world yeah. in the background. Even Chaos though Maos, it like, was the Greenskins. Yeah, Grimgor getting the Incarnate of Beasts, like him becoming the Incarnate of Beasts, getting the wind happens off screen. Uh, yeah. It's only mentioned. It's not mentioned in the big book. You have to read the the small novel to even find out how he does that. Uh, which is where he like kills Grease's Goldtooth and stuff. None of that, and him wiping out the Chaos Dwarves. Also, not mentioned in the book. Book only mentioned in the small book. Um, so like Grimgor literally comes out of nowhere. And because the way the spell works, instead of, you know, teleporting everybody because it's got a god fueling it, it literally just teleports Grimgore and a very teeny tiny part of his wall. Um, so he's cut off from his entire army. <laughs> so that's why he is not that big. Um, yeah, there you go. Um Anything on the Great Green Prophet? Uh, Warzag shows up in the end times. He tries to get Skarsnik and Grimgore to be his guys. Uh, he only makes it to Grimgore. He helps Grimgore at the Siege of Zarnagrand. He also appears in the Siege of Mindheim, where he uses a big spell to kill a bunch of people, and then we never see what happens to him. So just disappears. So yeah. fuck those. Um, what non-apocalypse prophecies were? We don't have time for that. There's a lot of prophecies. Lots of them. Uh, Warhammer's full of prophecies. Yeah. Uh, what were aspects of the end times we thought were well done? Um, I, I thought we've covered a lot of those. Yeah, we've covered a lot. Yeah, um, I lot. enjoyed elements of the fights in Lustria. I enjoyed a lot of the individual character moments. I hated the overall narrative. The idea that the Skaven pulled off a spell like 169 Grey Seers, granted, with the help of a Vermin Lord. The Vermin Lords were bullshit overpowered uh, <laughs> in the end times, and I know it's because they they had new minis and they wanted to sell the minis. Um, but like oh, their <laughs> their power level is fucking bullshit in the end yeah, time. I, i'm not too bothered about that i quite like the idea of the vermin lords being proper bullshit when so magic has gone mad one, one vermin lord teaches the graciers a spell so strong that for the slon to dispel it it knocks them all out yeah what? that's bullshit um <laughs> what? That, uh, yeah that's bullshit <laughs> no no that's bullshit. yeah yeah retract your statement yeah, Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's bullshit <laughs> yeah that's um, kind of bullshit but that's, like, less the, that's less the vermin lord doing it more the spell that they decided that the skaven could do yeah. or like vermilanx the corruptor has a spell of plague so powerful that he literally just melts the entire jungle of lustria like yeah i'm cool with that all right, <laughs> all right whatever sure proper stupid but i'm cool with that uh let's see uh who do i think had the most plot armor in the end times carl franz uh well i mean he dies technically uh yeah but right at the end um techless Teclas had a lot of plot armor. Teclas had a lot of fucking like, plot yeah, armor. Yeah, he's Teclas, but yeah. Teclas is also like super weak and frail and fragile, yeah, and they like to forget that. They they forget that Teclas is only about 250 years old, which for an elf ain't old. Um, you know who had a weird amount of plot armor was it get Claw. Like it Claw has always got plot armor. He though. almost it, died. He should have died twice, and he gets away both times, which is crazy. I kind of like the idea that Skaven, you know, slip away at the last moment. It seems appropriate for them. Um, yeah, though the, 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 the yeah the genuinely funniest option is I, you know what I would actually say Neferata or Archon the Black. Well, I hadn't considered Neferata. Yeah, those two are they live so long that they become useless to the plot like neferata literally survives and then she gets she gets put in charge of watching over sylvania and she does literally nothing for the rest of the she story hangs around doing fuck all like, i would actually forgotten yeah, about her she yeah. should have died in lamia like that should yeah, have been the end be of neferata's story yeah yeah like the leader should have killed her or they should have killed each other but neferata should not have walked out of lamia um yeah that's a good call i like that one 
I would have considered that. For Andy, could Geld have done something in the end times to make you like him? <laughs> um, yes. Oh, you're just going to leave it there? Yes. Yeah, you're <laughs> such a dick. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, if the incarnates were... Okay, we don't have time for that. That's a cool question. We'll have to hit that on a part two sometime. I'm sorry. Um, oh, that's that's an interesting question. Should a Ooh. Sky Titan have returned in the end times? I yes. say yes. Yeah, yes. there there is a there is a castle in the sky that has the last Sky Titan, and he should have made an appearance. That would have been absolutely. Awesome. There's no point in setting up a mystery in the Warhammer world that you don't deploy at the end times, because why set it up in the first place? Every single last fucking mystery should have been loosely either de demystified or moved to Age of Sigmar. Yeah, the last Sky Titan appearing would have been fucking kick-ass. That would have been a yeah, really been awesome. Thing. That would have been a final battle that would have been fucking cool. Yeah, because like no. literally a giant that is like a creature that is so big that it is a giant to other giants showing up. That would have been fun. Like, especially the whole thing of like, oh, Cracker Rock's here. How do we stop him? This fucking Sky Titan shows up and he's like, I got this. <laughs> and you get this fight of colossals in the yeah. background. Awesome. Yeah, what's um, the point of having it if you don't use it? So, yes. Yeah, uh, and then the last question, would Archeon not have been bitch-slapped to the side if it was Nagash and not Sigmar who faced him down? I honestly don't know what you're... Oh, okay. I, I guess what you're saying is would would Archeon not have just lost like he does against Sigmar? The thing is, that's, that's kind of destiny manifest. Like, Archeon yeah. has to fight Sigmar and he has to lose. Like that's that's kind of his thing is because the important thing about Archeon you have to understand is that Archeon being the big bad who it kind of focuses on at the very end his whole thing is he's an ex Sigmarite that believes Sigmar is not real he believes that Sigmar is a lie and that everything about him is false and the whole point is that Sigmar is real is what the narrative kind of reveals and that he has now granted I think they should have done it through Karl Franz's faith rather than. Like, it should have been a faithful man faces him down at the end. And it maybe should have been that Archeon... The thing that Archeon should have realized is that it shouldn't have mattered. That he could have been a better man. He didn't have to do what he does, even if Sigmar didn't answer him. He didn't have to rely on Sigmar the way he did. And when his god didn't answer him, throw fairly a giant fit and decide to turn down everything. I mean, I, I broadly agree with this. What you're really looking for for Archeon um, is him realizing he's wrong. That's yeah, ultimately that, what you're looking yeah, for in terms of the No one else could have done it. Like it yeah. had, to, it would have had to be whoever held Galmaraz, whether it would have been Valtin or Karl Franz, which bringing back Valtin was fucking weird. I don't know why they bothered. Um, no, neither do I. That made no sense at all. Waste of a character. Franz uh, is like, utter waste. Yeah, in Storm of Chaos, he made sense. That's because the Karl yeah. Franz back then was not the Karl Franz we have now. That was Karl Franz, the weak old man emperor um, who... It, it wasn't really. It was Karl Franz, the um, hero-riding emperor at that point. Yeah, but like the whole thing of like, why? given the hammer to vault it, why? Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, no. But uh, yeah, no. Like Archeon, his last moments of life should have been, I was wrong. Because yeah. that that is critical to I think the story of Warhammer is that chaos duped him. Yep, and I think that's the, a necessary component. He was responsible um, for the deaths of billions, and uh, he was wrong. And having enough, and, and that was something that the chaos gods themselves would revel in. 
Um, so they would ensure that he had more than enough consciousness to realize just how fucking wrong he was. And that's an, an essential component to the character. I don't think that walking away from that or allowing it not to transpire is at all wise. Uh, people ask, uh, no, Archeon flat out loses in the end times. Like it, he, Sigmar beats him in a really dumb way. Uh, I really don't like the way Sigmar beats him where he uses uh-huh. like weird lightning magic to beat him instead of, you know, just Gomer Um, But Archeon loses and Sigmar knocks him off a cliff and then Archeon climbs back up the cliff and tackles Sigmar off of it into the abyss. But then somehow like, loses sigmar in the fall because sigmar ends up falling gone. yeah sigmar falls all the way to the core of the planet and Archeon just is mia um until he comes back later it's weird it's super it's weird. a bit weird um, but anyway that's the end of our show <laughs> i'm gonna write something epic but not be sure what i'm gonna write uh nice way to end eh <laughs> yeah um yeah i yeah funny enough uh it's genuinely hilarious if you go read Archeon's last moments he literally just vanishes there's no yeah. explanation what happens to him he tackles Sigmar into a bottomless pit and then he's gone. <laughs> so um, our conclusion to end, um, the end times happened. They were a thing. Several books, 10 whole books discussing something that could have been written significantly better. In our opinion, you may disagree. You may love it. But as far as we're concerned, the end times was an event that is full of really interesting character beats but they are entirely drowned out by nonsense, sections that make no sense, decisions that betray previous character choices, and rewriting of previous lore, either on purpose, because they wanted it to be something new, or in ignorance, because they just hadn't done enough reading of some of the previous books. For those of us who are great lovers of lore, for those of us who look at all of Warhammer and where it came from and where it eventually ended, the end times was ultimately largely a disappointment because instead of being a great celebration of everything that we loved that really did cap everything off at the top with a great holy shit that was awesome instead it crapped at the top and really (laughs) left us feeling a little bit dirty by the end of it all we wanted to love it but we didn't we wanted to adore it but we kind of couldn't because in truth It wasn't so much that it was celebrating Warhammer from the last 30 years. It was more desperately and sometimes inefficiently attempting to set up Age of Sigmar. And because of the great imposition of new material that had nothing to do with what was going on, you were left confused, unsure, and going, really? Is Lilith all that? How dumb is she? Oh, she's dead. So you can take from this whatever you wish. From our perspective, it could have been better. And I would just like to end with a thank you very much. Yeah. And hey, CB4N, that is actually a genuinely really cool storyline. Like, what would Ulrika, a Kisselvite native who has turned into a vampire, think of running into Mother Ostankia? That's a really fucking cool idea, story-wise. So have fun with that. Yeah, particularly given that um, the chap who wrote all of the Ulrika books, um, Nathan, is a very close friend of mine. I should just ping him. <laughs> yeah, we need, to, we need to have him on the show <laughs> at some point. <laughs> But yeah, uh, um, also, Strix, we appreciate the words. This was not well thought out. <laughs> just, just, I don't want to oh, lie yeah. to you guys. <laughs> oh, 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 no. It yeah, was no. not well thought out. Yeah, um, no. I, I, mean, I think me and Andy are like, both in here going like, we did not get nearly as far as we wanted to. No, with this we <laughs> um, before the stream, we were like, we've got a lot of shit to cover. How are we going to do this? Let's just wing it and see where it goes. I was so excited because Andy was like, man, I've got this whole thing about like what happened to the lizard in the end times. We didn't even get to that part. <laughs> <laughs> I was 
I guess we'll do it again later. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, want to thank you all very much for being here and for watching. Uh, really appreciate everyone. Uh, also, make sure that you follow and sub to Andy because like we'll be here every other week. Oh, so yeah. Next- We're on my channel just now. Press yeah. sub. Press sub. Go on. Do it. Yeah. Next week is day. my channel. And then we'll be back on Andy. And then yep. and we'll, and we'll do that. Um, so, uh, also, you know, law hammer and all that jazz. And Hey, if you really like the show, um, and you want to help support, um, I have been putting all of these on to, uh, oh my gosh, like Spotify and stuff. So there are audio versions of these. I just unlo- uh, uploaded, uh, deconstructing Malekith. We're on most the major podcast things. Um, we don't make a lot of money from that though. So if you want to help support, make sure you, uh, maybe consider popping over on Patreon for Lawhammer. And just a dollar a month helps more than you know. It really does. Um, like even just a dollar a month, guys. Thanks. Or uh, subbing on Twitch or any of those uh, big ways to help support what we do around here. Uh, we appreciate it a lot. And uh, make sure you check out the Lawhammer series. It's amazing. I'm going to be streaming. I want to say on... I'm, I'm not going to give a date because I'll be lying Don't if I do. give a date. But, you, know, uh, you know you'll go, yes, I'll do that. The date yeah, but I'm going to be... Uh, I'm actually going to be watching uh, the first episode uh, here I think today, and I'm going to be doing a thing about it later this week. So um, that'll be fun. And, uh, you know, follow us both on Twitch. I'm playing a lot of games. Andy's going to start playing games in the near future. Uh, Yes. And if we hit 5,000 subs on Lawhammer, which I think right now we're at like 2.8, 2.8, something like that. Something like that. Uh, If we hit 5K, I will release the uh, Queek Headtaker super YouTube video, which I can already tell you now is going to be over three hours long. Um, I've just started doing some work on it and it is, uh, it is, it's so much. It he is maybe only a child in terms of, age. I know he does a fuck ton in his too life. many people fucking like him. Uh, honestly, yeah, when I'm doing the math of what he does in like seven years, it is bullshit. <laughs> like I get that he's crazy, but like, my God, is he busy? Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much everything. So thank you all so much for watching. Uh, we will have the next poll up on Andy's channel for what we're going to be doing um, for next week's subject. We'll have that up today, probably. Yep. And uh, that's it. I'll end with a quick um, boost for Inside the Rookery, which is a stream where uh, I and multiple mates who are the bestest, many of whom play Lawhammer, um, gather every single week on Saturday at 7pm UK time and we discuss gaming with an insider's view, i.e. how do we make the games that we all know and love, how do they come to pass, how do we edit them, how do we produce them, how do we write them if we're writers and we've had guests on that channel, we're on season 6 at the moment, that have spanned everything from the creators of Warhammer to the creators of various role-playing games to our really famous authors to filmmakers to computer game writers ranging from andy hall for example to people who are behind vampire the masquerade as others we've had pretty much everybody on at one point or another we have many more guests to come every single saturday at 7 p.m uk advert time call that yeah. channel yeah and watch <laughs> it uh, i just watched uh this past saturday's episode uh last night it's fantastic it's by horror author and yeah, well games done. maker <laughs> Oh, I can't remember his name, but Caleb, uh, Caleb, yeah, uh, and his it was fantastic. Uh, had a lot of really, really interesting points. A lot of good things about running role play games, creating role play games, and dealing with horror. And he actually, one of the things that was fascinating is he put into words why I do not find 40k to be a hor- a horrifying setting, and it's really fascinating. To that, like, it's not a scary setting, and he points out why, and it's really interesting. So go watch that. Um, okay, we're done. That's- <laughs> I think we might be done. We are not talking about the end times for at least another month.
I, yeah, I got to recharge that. my battery. <laughs> yeah. End times, end schmimes. Jesus. <laughs> that was good fun, though. Thanks, everyone. Your comments were absolutely brilliant. And I think that we've um, all come out of this realizing that the end times are a thing that we don't necessarily think shouldn't have happened. Happy with it happening. We just think perhaps it could have been done differently. And thank you very much for all the super chats and the bits and stuff. Really appreciate oh, that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank really you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And on that, bye-bye.